This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning to you. Also, clean up your desk day. Clean out your desk day, Ben. No, up. Oh, is it up? Is it up? Yeah, it was up. Out is different. Yeah, clean. Oh, clean off. Off. I'm I'm never leaving. (laughs) We would never have you leave. The day you leave is the day you die. This sounds really ominous. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, well, it's kind of... We're going to miss you, Ben. Ah, oh, jeez. Hey, here's the deal. When you can't find a drug lord, call Sean Penn. What is the deal? Apparently. El Chapo escapes from a prison in Mexico, can't be found, and Sean Penn, the actor... Threw a soap opera star in Mexico. Yeah. Bada boom, bada bing, he's got El Chapo. Because El Chapo wanted to make, uh, what, he wanted a documentary of his life, I think it was, and he wanted her to kind of head that project up, so that's how it all kind of yeah. I mean, came it's, around together. It's a big deal. Yeah, last night there were rumors that Sean Penn had a uh, a interview set up with the head of ISIS, that he had <laughs> he had purchased his camel gear and was ready to go. He's... He really is kind of a one-man show. He's just – he's able true. to get it's, to everybody. It's not true, but funny. Made me laugh when I read it. <laughs> That's funny. I can't but, believe he didn't get bin Laden. Well, I I, I won't uh, – wouldn't be surprising if he didn't try. Yeah. The interesting thing is the legal end of this is people are like, oh, he should have uh, reported that. <laughs> and it's like, well, if he was a reporter and he went and did that interview, he wouldn't have had to report that to anybody. Yeah, right. Like he wouldn't have had to say he's located here, all that. You don't have to do that. You can go about your business. Right. Well, I mean, just, what are you going to do? Just don't aid him in what he's doing. And people would say maybe just going and talking to him, giving him publicity is aiding him. But legally, there's not much the government can do. Wasn't he involved him. with uh, Kim Jong-un or um, was it the Cuban Castro He, he met brothers? with Castro. Yeah. He went to Venezuela. He, just, he, he has a lot of friends that a lot of people don't like. Yeah. <laughs> but well, at the same time, that's how we get to know quite a bit of, not quite a bit, but some of the things we know about these these isolated uh, areas and isolated yeah. leaders because of people like Sean Penn. Well, you Penn got Sean Penn, who's, their, who's a good buddy. I don't know if he's a buddy. He goes in and talks to him and gives well, him hugs, I guess. Well, he did it. I there mean, might, There might have been a bro hug. Shouldn't he be making Cuba? movies and... Going to the Golden Globes. Who are you to tell him what he should be doing and should not be doing? This is. Uh, I was asking it. It was just a question. No, but it sounds like you're judging. Oh, yeah. It just seems – I mean, it seems, again, like you got El Chapo right there. Okay. Get him arrested. Put him so, back in jail. Is that his job? Well, I don't know. Ask all the drug users this, whose children have died. Sean Penn's hanging out with El Chapo. But by the way, isn't El Chapo, they put him back in the same prison? That seems like a bad idea. They fixed it up. They put in some more walls. They covered the hole. They, they did background checks on the guards. It, did they? Yeah. That's it's what they good. said. It's all good. <laughs> David Bowie died. That's sad. David Bowie. You know, cancer. Got another guy. Cancer. 
69 years old. After an 18-month battle with cancer, as publicist Steve Martin told CNN, he died peacefully today surrounded by his family after a courageous 18-month battle with cancer. While many of you will share in this loss, we ask that you respect the family's privacy during this time of grief. Were you a fan of his music? No, I'm not a big music fan yeah. anyway. But, boy, I'm telling you. Do you remember him? Well, you probably, do you remember him when you were young? No. I mean, you know, the name's there. I've heard some of the music. Flashy. But, yeah. Reminds me of Ben. Really? The pastels? Flashy, the pastels. Big hair. Bright, yeah. Always out there. Just trying to look my best. <laughs> That's sad. Well, and, I mean, what's going on? Uh, did you see the Golden Globes at all? I've seen some clips. I usually avoid the you're award not, shows. You're because not big into the Golden Globes, are you? It's like... Popularity to me, this was exciting because I had watched a lot of these movies over the holiday. All right, <laughs> over the last two weeks, I watched a lot. But best motion picture drama, yeah, The Revenant. I haven't seen that yet. That seems too intense. Yeah, it's kind of a revenge type picture. So, best motion picture comedy or musical, The Martian. I that, saw that. I thought what? it was a typo. Like, I thought that was a, a drama. Was it a comedy? How is that a comedy or a musical? They didn't break into song, did they? I didn't, haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> Netflix has yet to send it to me. That makes no sense. I know. It's like it's been out, it might be out for a little bit. Send me the Oh, you're talking about good. Best motion picture, musical or comedy was The Martian. The Martian. That is crazy. I, I imagine there's some funny parts, but I think that's just them trying to get a, an award for Matt Damon. Is that what it is? And for Leonardo DiCaprio. They wanted both of them to get awards, okay. so they put them in different categories. So they didn't cancel each other out. Gotcha. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture, Brie Larson from The Room. Haven't seen that. The Room, uh, apparently it's a mother and son who were trapped. Are they, are they by, like, go to your room. Well, no, it's like there's a one room. That's oh. their whole world. They're, they're being stuck in a room. Held against their will. Wow. And then the door opens. Yeah, that's a drama. And then they have to go out and then, you know, exist or figure out what the world is after it's been this one room. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy, Jennifer Lawrence and Joy. I saw that. That was good. It's about a mop. About a mop. (laughs) Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Revenant. Yeah. Uh, And guess this is a surprise. Best supporting actor, The Bear. Go on. Uh, Best supporting actor, The Bear. Um, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a motion picture, Sylvester Stallone, Creed. Yeah, Creed got a lot of, Creed? Lot of uh, praise just because it uh, actually made Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. It put him in a, in a position where he could be a good actor. Well, yeah. Yo. Because he, he has his limits, as you've probably seen yeah. some of his movies. Well, he didn't even have a gun in his hand in all of Creed. But in making him into the kind of the coach – He's mm-hmm. the he's the Mickey, I guess, from the, the Rocky. Didn't, Making him into that role, it helped. It was kind of the same way Star Wars took other characters and kind of retold the same mm-hmm. story in a different way. That's what Creed is. Didn't he though? Um, he he wrote this with help, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Sylvester, so he wrote his own part. It's got to be weird when you're writing the Mickey part for yourself. Yeah. Because Mickey was the dying. I didn't see the video of his uh, acceptance speech, but he thanked his imaginary friend. Uh, Rambo. Rocky. Oh, Rocky. Rocky yeah. Balboa. Probably his Rambo, best too. friend. That's cool. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good. Something's happening. 
I'd rather honestly talk about the Golden Globes yeah. than politics. And today's politics day. We're going to have Joe Cannon in, uh, in the office. He's in the office today. No, he's not. Oh, he's not. He's on, he's the, on phone. the phone. I don't know where he is. We'll find out. He's in. He will be on the show talking about uh, what's going on in D.C. But I just, uh, I just really want to talk about the Globes more. Than State that. of the Union is tomorrow night. So if you have a DVR and a favorite show on a Tuesday, it's probably not happening. Uh, sorry to all those people. They're that... also going to stream it on Amazon.com. Why? Why not? It's his last. Yeah. So they're going to stream it up there. They said they're trying to reach out to people who are cutting cords and they want to watch something. What My entire life, I don't know if I've watched a State of the Union and been like, wow, that was great. Yeah. I'm not. It's always like, oh, another speech. Yeah. You can read about it the next day. Right. And then you get to see half the room stand up. Yeah. The other half sits there. It's like. It's hard to watch everyone cheer for so long. That too. It's like, sit down. You're just taking up more time. Joe, Joe Cannon will be joining us. And, um, you know, that'll be fun because then he'll be telling us, I'm going to ask him, what should you do your last year? So if you're, if you're a lame duck president, what do you do your last year? Looks like Obama's going to attack guns. Do you remodel? You don't remodel. <laughs> Put in a jacuzzi at the White House? I would just get my house ready in Hawaii or wherever he's going to live. Where would you live? I I mean, you you don't want to go back to Chicago. Uh, it's cold. Well, yeah, and his friend's in trouble politically, Rom. Yeah, he's not friends with the mayor anymore. So, Mm-mm. Well, he is, but his mayor, the mayor's probably not going to be there. Yeah. I don't know. Florida? That's where everybody else goes. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd go so, yeah, somewhere warm. I'd go to Hawaii. If I were Barack, I'd go to Hawaii it's for ex- about five years. It's expensive. Oh, anyway, I think he'll be all right. Do you think he can get, like, tax-deferred status there? Oh, yeah. Remember me? I was the president. And, you know, <laughs> then he keeps everybody away from him for about five years. Yeah. I just get a tan. Then I people kind of surf. forget mm-hmm. all anything negative, and when you come back, they've 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 romanticized your uh, yeah. your presidency and you're a hero. Then you can be a greeter at Walmart. There you go. And you're done. Greeter at Walmart. Well, just to fill up time. Is, I mean, that yeah. how, is that how you see the end times for you? Yeah, for sure. You're at Walmart saying, hello, is that a return? I'm going to be, exactly, and I'll be parking the little. Sure, let me get my tag gun so we can get that marked <laughs> and get, get you over one. here to customer service. <laughs> I would love that. To not have to think about anything, but hey, welcome to Walmart. Can I check your receipt? I have your little vest. <laughs> I'm going there. Believe me. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get to the headlines. Anything else going on around the world, Terry, we need to worry about? As we talked about, David Bowie dead at 69, 18th month battle with cancer, survived by his uh, his yeah, a wife, supermodel, Iman, son, Duncan Jones, his daughter, Alexandra, and uh, his, uh, his music will live on. Uh, Sean Penn met with El Chapo, as we talked about, led to his, possibly led to his arrest. The United States now is working with the Mexican government to get him extradited to the United States, possibly to a prison he can escape from as easily as he has in Mexico. <laughs> Doubt it. That's the hope. Uh, found this last night. A large group of heavily armed men showed up to the wildlife refuge in Oregon on Saturday, hmm. further escalating tensions and causing internal conflicts at the protest. Just as a number of the regular occupiers at the National Wildlife Refuge were finishing up a morning press conference, a fleet of more than a dozen vehicles drove up to the site. Men armed with rifles got out of their trucks and began stationing themselves along the road. The men said they were part of a group called the Pacific Patriot Network and were a, quote, neutral party. 
Okay, but they showed up with guns. They're and- there to provide security and protection to everyone at the refuge. Ammon Bundy, the leader of the militia, had no idea a new group of armed men were coming, according to uh, Todd McFarlane, who is now the acting liaison between the militia and the public. He's a lawyer. I read about him. He, he goes, I'm going to go up there. I don't think Ammon Bundy's communicating his message well. <laughs> so this McFarlane's now acting as the spokesperson. So Bundy didn't know these guys with guns were going to show up. So now no. we have two groups with guns. Seems like a... Yes. And they, there's some significant weapons inside and outside the buildings now. So everyone's got guns there, except there are no police really yet. McFarlane, the lawyer, says this was not a welcome development. We are trying to de-escalate here. And then, boom, they all show up. <laughs> but then again, they asked for people to come up and support their movement. That was one of the first things where, Bundy uh, did. Where, uh, Mr. Bundy, where do you want the howitzer? <laughs> I find this story just so intriguing. Yeah, I know you do. You talk about it. It's you like every every, every day it. I find something. Let's talk. I got a list of. They put out another list of stuff they need. <laughs> You're like, that's great. Oh, that's sad. Terry, so we'll we'll, we'll 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 kind of dabble in this a little bit. Uh, Powerball, I know you're a yes. big fan. <laughs> yeah, huge fan. They what fi- are we up to now? They failed to find a winner. No one won the 947.8 oh. million jackpot Saturday night. So now they're estimating it could be up to 1.3 billion by next weekend. That's crazy. When they make or oh, actually, it's Wednesday night. Think of how many people's lives they could change. Give a million dollars. To what is it? 1,300 people? Is that how right. that works? So the Powerball drawing hasn't even hasn't seen a winner since November. Each new jackpot total makes the record higher for a North American lottery game jackpot, easily surpassing March's uh, Mega Millions payout of uh, $656 million. The odds of winning the Powerball, 1 in 292 million. More likely to get struck by lightning while drowning. Almost 1 in the population of the country. Man. So it's interesting. That drawing will be on Wednesday, so you can go and... Uh, Get yourself set up for that. And uh, finally, Star Wars. What? Sets another record. Oh, what? More money? Fourth straight week. Yeah. Number one with $41 million, Just barely wow. beating out the Revenant. Revenant had $38 million. Brings the uh, total haul to $812 million, making the first film ever to cross $800 million domestically. In a month. In a month. Just fast. They uh, racked up the record-breaking $53 million after debuting in China over the weekend. The People's Republic is the last major market to open for the Star Wars adventure. The opening ranks the best Saturday-Sunday opening in China ever. Star Wars 7 made $1.7 billion worldwide so far, about $400 million behind Titanic for number two all mm. time. Congratulations, Star Wars. I heard a, uh, theory, a theory over the weekend. If they go ahead and nationalize the Star Wars franchise and just every couple of years put that out, what's what a, a revenue generator for the country? Yeah. So put so, that back into public works programs and we can really FDR the place. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was the whole idea. I'm like, seriously, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, where did you read that? It was just a podcast. It was funny. But if, you do, if, if a Star Wars really did care about America, they would do that. If they did. But that's not how America works, so. Apparently not. Someone's just swimming through whatever. You know what is so great? We just did that entire first segment, hardly talked politics. We did. It was great. I have stuff on politics. I know. But I do, I, too. I, but I, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I just, I'm just tired of them. Yeah. By the way, did you see that Trump has a – um, Google has an app that you can de-Trumpify? Yes. You just uh, put this little – the app on. It's actually really easy if you just keep scrolling and don't stop. Well – 
They, so yeah. going, going through the, the effort of putting in an extension, trying to figure it out, trying to see if this program works. and You can even put in your own keywords, I think. has one of, there's, I think there's a couple of programs. You can put in your own keywords to block certain things. and hmm. Just keep scrolling. You see his picture, just keep going. You see the word Trump, just keep going. You don't have to read it. Well, I know, but it's everywhere. People just feel they're compelled? It's just everywhere. Huh. You know what I mean? It's just everywhere. I guess if you want it completely out of your life, right? there's availability there. Okay. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be speaking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Uh, we're going to be talking all things political. He's going to give us a little bit of insight on what he's hearing behind the scenes, um, you know, with Cruz, with Trump. you got – and we're talking everything today, even a little bit of uh, uh, Hillary, Bill Clinton. Stick with us, folks. Everything political. With our Washington Insider. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, uh, we're in January. Just about uh, three or so weeks away from, you know, knowing what's going to be happening in Iowa, then New Hampshire, eventually South Carolina. Boom. The game is on. The race for president is underway. So we like to bring in our uh, Washington insider, Joe Cannon, to give us any insight he can on what's going on uh, in the world of politics. Uh, Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation an organization now that is trying to lower the cost of fuel in the United States. He also was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day, ran for Senate himself, served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under uh, Ronald Reagan, was also editor of the Deseret News, which is a, a pretty large um, intermountain newspaper. And we're honored to have him as our Washington insider. Joe, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Hey, uh, now, we dodged politics the entire first segment of the show. We wanted to save everything for you, and <laughs> okay. I'm also exhausted. I'm, I'm burnt okay. out politically. So so walk me through um, what, what you see going on. There's a lot of noise now, and you tell me if any of it matters, about Cruz's eligibility. He, he may not have been born. Well, he wasn't born in the United States, right? So... Everyone's like, is he eligible? And Donald Trump keeps dropping that out there. Is there any? Is there any? Is there any there there? No. The short answer is no. But the longer answer is this is a total testament to Donald Trump's ability to drive the media attention. Yeah, it's just amazing. And he goes, of course, I'm not saying anything. I'm not suggesting <laughs> it. I just hear. I hear that it might be a problem. And boom, that that was everything. But I think it's pretty definitively it was already definitively put to bed and this just gives Cruz another chance to put it to bed which he did uh but it was, it was a, a clear effort on trump's part uh to try to take down Cruz somewhere somehow oh. in in iowa because uh, as things are going right now trump could easily lose i'm not saying he will i mean he's he's in second place in the overall average but it's pretty close uh, so you, you don't know exactly what will happen, but there's a 
if you're betting, you'd be betting on Cruz yeah. in Iowa, and Trump is clearly betting that way since that's actually how he makes a lot of his money is it gambling. He's betting that Cruz is his toughest guy, and he's trying to take him down. Is um, and then but Cruz has to answer it, and he just has to keep answering it. I, I guess I mean this is the birther issue. This is Trump's masterpiece. This is what he tried to do with Obama, and yet. I guess is there a point where Cruz won't have to answer it anymore? I mean, uh, well, I, President I, Obama I, had to keep answering it for years. Yeah, uh, I think it's already past the time that Cruz has to answer it. I mean, he's now, now he can just yeah. His basic said uh, he tweeted out, you know, Trump has finally jumped the shark, and it kind of made of a joke, made a joke out of it, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't think. I mean, nobody, literally, literally no one takes it seriously. It's no. simply not. It's simply not the case. His mother was born in America, and Trump is a. Na- I mean, Cruz is a natural-born American under any analysis. So, mm. yeah. Does um, some people are saying now that? Um, the, you know, Cruz is gaining ground. Cruz may be kind of more a, a more acceptable. Uh, conservative in the GOP that others can can hang on to. We talked about that last last week. Is what happens if if Cruz kind of gets the nod from the rest of the GOP world? Um it, it seems like Mitt Romney never got full support of the conservative side and it ended up impacting his ability to win. Is are are the more moderate GOP members going to ever really support Cruz enough to get him to a win, or or any conservative? It seems like the party's so divided, no one's going to well, get the full well, party. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we have just the fascinating. Uh, it, it just goes to show you that things are not linear. You can't just predict right. Uh, who could have predicted the Trump phenomenon, for example? But. What you have basically now is you've got some Bush diehards, and then you've got some diehards around, you know, I'll call them single-digit diehards around some of the other candidates. But pretty much everyone in uh, of, the, of the two big areas you talked about, kind of, quote, establishment, close quote, not quite sure yeah. what that means. or more moderate, yeah. yeah. Everyone is coalescing around Cruz or uh, the insiders. I'm just talking about so-called insiders. Everyone's coalescing around Cruz or Rubio, and including I. I had uh, uh, breakfast last week with a very large Republican donor in New York. I'm mm. sure he doesn't want his name mentioned, but but a guy is a, a very big donor, and you know he's a moderate and. He says, you know, I just got to go with Rubio because I can't take Cruz. Yeah, and so, so the, the irony of all this is that these are these are the two most conservative candidates that have gotten this far that the party has put up since Ronald Reagan. Hmm. So you've got <laughs> you know, everyone's battling it out between two, with with tiny, tiny exceptions, very indistinguishable candidates ideologically. Yeah. And um, so I think I think the question is, uh, Cruz is definitely gaining momentum, has momentum. Uh, he, he's uh, ahead of Rubio in Iowa. Rubio's a little bit ahead of him in New Hampshire, but they're both way behind Trump in New Hampshire. So 
Um, I think it's a three-person race. However you look at it right now, it's a three-person race. Do you, do you think the more moderate Republicans would come out and vote for Cruz if Cruz wins? Uh, many of them will just because they're still Republicans, and he does represent – when you say moderate Republican, people say moderate Republican. Usually that means somebody says – Something like, well, I'm a fiscal conservative, mm-hmm. but I'm moderate to liberal on social issues. And for a lot of those people, the economic issues are very, very, very important, and they would a lot rather have a Ted Cruz than Hillary Clinton. So, right. but the big question is, how much of the base really is so-called moderate? Yeah, and, yeah, I'm not not sure how big that is. And you're right about one thing: Trump galvanizes the uh, base. And and I guess brings in more, doesn't he? I mean, it seems like he's bringing in other people potentially, maybe they're not voters, but other possible Democrats or, you know, just kind of blue collar workers. He is, but of course, Trump is doing pretty well in that category, too. Yeah. um, Well, so when we look at it, I mean, um, does it, it's basically down to three, a three, a three ticket race who let's say a cruise does end up beating out trump um or who who are the who are the best vice presidential candidates i mean who do you think a cruise would pick as a vice yeah. presidential candidate yeah let me just say one thing before we leave the topic of the of the three-person race um just so the listeners know i mean there, there are all these primaries coming up. Most of them are over by March 15th. By March 15th, the overwhelming bulk of the uh, delegates will have been chosen. But only 10 states are proportional, 10 entities. Hmm. One of those, one of the, I'm sorry, only 10 of those are winner-take-all. Oh. And, and of those 10, you know, a bunch of them are like the Northern Mariana Islands. I mean, it don't matter. But, but two of them are, happen to be, Ohio and Florida, huh. each of which has a favorite sub candidate. Right. Uh, but but when you take those out, the that every all the rest of the states are proportional. So going forward, you know, I mean, Trump could gain enough momentum that maybe he just takes, you know, just takes all the rest. But but most of the rest of the states are proportional. And delegates. So if Trump so, if Trump has thirty five percent of the vote, he'll get thirty five percent of the state. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you take even New Hampshire, which New Hampshire doesn't really matter whether it's proportional or winner take all, I think it is proportional. But but if you take New Hampshire as an example, in the latest polls, the average poll, Trump has thirty one percent. But Rubio, Cruz, Bush, Christie, and Kasich have fifty three percent. And so, you know, just say that rolls, something like that rolls through all of the primaries, it's going to be hard for Trump to walk into that convention with 51%. Right. And so then be, it could be more interesting than we think. I mean, people, we talked about this before, there's, there's technically really no such thing as this backroom, you know, smoke-filled brokered convention. Mm-hmm. But there is, there are, if somebody doesn't get 51, they vote until somebody does. So there'd be a lot of deal making, and that's now leading into that's kind of a segue into the vice presidential candidate because that could figure in. Hmm. What, what happens at the convention could actually figure in to to uh, 
you know, who who gets that Democrat, the uh, DP nomination. Oh, boy, that will be interesting because, yeah, they'll all be vying and bringing their – I guess that's why you keep fighting, right? A Rubio uh, and, a, and a Cruz and a maybe a – who is who's next? I guess it depends well, on the state. I guess, huh? Maybe it depends on the state. You know, Bush could be the number four person. Kasich will be the number four person in some states, maybe particularly Ohio. Hmm. Um, but you know, just say it is Ohio, um, or just say it does come down to a broker convention. Well, then you do have a uh, a guy like Kasich might make a big difference. Yeah, you know, get, given that he's got a bunch of delegates, right? Well, and he's and in the general election, he'd be able to help you poll Ohio. No, exactly. So and I mean, Florida. I mean, yeah, it, uh, Kasich is a um, is somebody that has to be considered. Right now, no one's really considering him, and he probably himself is saying no. But I, I guess I would turn it. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, teams of rival. Um, President, vice president candidates. I mean, there was no, no negative love between Lyndon Johnson and um, John F. Kennedy. Hmm. But they married up and they did. And uh, it's really arguably why uh, why Kennedy won. Yeah. Uh, because he brought in certain kind of constituencies. I think, though, just for what it's worth, I think that any, if, whether it's Trump or Rubio or Cruz, uh, they're going to be looking, I think, for a woman uh, VP, hmm. and uh, I think I think it's be really hard to run against a woman president, a presidential candidate on the other party, without without saying, yeah, here's some bona fides. Yeah, and and that's a fairly short list, by the way, of <laughs> who that who that could be. Well, and I guess that they have to they have to complement the candidate as well, right? They don't you don't want to people necessarily even from the same, you know, part of the country or same part of the well, maybe, maybe GOP. Not. I mean, being a woman probably makes a big difference that, that, that it probably transcends just the regional side of things. Hmm. But there, there, there are some, you know, there is Nikki Haley, yeah. governor of South Carolina. So she doesn't bring anything geographically or politically, there's zero chance that South Carolina is not going to go Republican. On the other hand, she's very well-spoken. She, she took a courageous stand about, you know, taking down the uh, Confederate flag in South Carolina. And, and uh, you know, she, she could be a very attractive vice presidential candidate on, you know, on, on a gender ground, not, not on a political mm-hmm. uh, geographical ground. And, and you know you can't get there. Are a lot of people talking about Carly Fiorina. Right. I mean, she's fiery. She's smart. Great on the stump. I, I'm pretty sure I can tell you who it won't be. It won't be just taking a wild shot here. It won't. It's not going to be Sarah Palin. <laughs> uh, You're going to go out on a limb on that one, are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not going to be Susanna Martinez from New Mexico. She's had a little bit of a kind of a scandal in the last few weeks. Oh. And I, I, I don't think it's going to be her. But you've got so you've got Nikki Haley. You've got Joni Ernst, new senator from Iowa, uh, very strong, did very well there. You've got Mary Fallon, who's the uh, uh, governor of Oklahoma. Uh, you've got Deb Fisher. I really don't think it'll be her. She's a new senator from Nebraska, strong Tea Party. She'd be a, a well-known and loved uh, 
uh, former Senator Bob Kerry, who ran again. Mm. And then I'm going to throw out my two sort of wild cards, Condoleezza Rice and oh, yeah. Meg Whitman. Oh, and Meg Whitman, said, yeah. Yeah. So those are – anyway, you have, a, you have a fairly small set, and there may, there may be people, you know, not known. Uh, but I think I think they'd be looking uh, – I think there's a good chance you'll see a woman vice presidential candidate. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, if, yeah, I think it's I guess it's all out there, too. Right. It's up. We'll see. We'll see also who's even going to who's the nominee going to be. Let's take a break. Joe Cannon, um, we're speaking with the great Washington insider. Hates to be called that, by the way. But uh, right, you're right. <laughs> Joe doesn't feel like a Washington insider, but he is in the know. He knows people that know people. It's a lot more than we know, because we know Joe. Hey, we're going to take a break, come back more with Joe, um, talk about uh, Hillary Clinton. Is Bill helping or hurting? And uh, also, you know, what would really happen in a Trump-Hillary Clinton general election? Who would have the media advantage there? Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, something's something's amok. Something is going on when you think of the influence Trump has had in um, in politics. Also on the Democratic side, you know, Bernie Sanders, the guy really that had no name recognition, is he's doing incredibly well, especially... Um, in I guess in both in both places in both uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, um, I mean Hillary Clinton's leading I believe in in Iowa, but New Hampshire, holy cow, um, it's very close in Iowa, forty eight to forty five Clinton Sanders, but in New Hampshire, Sanders is blowing it away. We wanted to talk to our Washington insider Joe Cannon about this. Joe again is the president of CEO uh, and CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to help lower the costs of fuel here in the United States. And on the side, he just helps us be – he's our Washington insider. Joe Cannon, welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, thanks, Matt. Hey, um, what do you think? Bernie Sanders is still coming on way strong. He's doing – he's he's taking Hillary on, at least in the first two states – yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't take it seriously. Okay. <laughs> I really can't contain the thought that Trump might actually get the nomination either. So on both sides, it's amazing I, they're they're doing so it. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Bernie's doing well. He clearly connects with the base, resonates with the base. You know, I, I I live in Utah. I don't think I've seen a Hillary for President sticker bumper sticker no. yet. Yeah, no. I have seen I have seen dozens of Bernie stickers. Uh, now, Utah is not representative in any way, shape, or form, except that it does show that there's a base support out there for Sanders that's really, really, really hard to ignore. And uh, But, uh, you know, in, in the olden days when the country was mostly Republican, people would say, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. Hmm. 
then when Hoover came along, it became as Maine goes, so goes Vermont. And I think, I think we have the kind of that situation here as New Hampshire goes, so goes Vermont. I, I don't, I just don't see them getting traction. Uh, most delegates in both parties want a winner. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of show here trying to make sure Hillary moves to the left and, and satisfies the base. But I, I just don't see that getting legs. Does, do you think, and I mean, it seems like uh, because he has this kind of cult-like following, it seems like uh, if it went to a national election and it was Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee and Donald Trump was the GOP nominee, everyone, even though there's a, a supposed huge distaste for Donald amongst the Democratic voters, Donald knows how to work the press and knows how to take on people like the Clintons, it seems like, um, in a way that nobody's taken them on. Would it be – would it be – I mean everyone – nobody thought Trump would get this far, right? Nobody did. Would he have the same effect in the general? Well, let me unpack a little bit of some of the things that you said. Um, uh, about 20 percent of Trump's supporters – are Democrats, basically blue-collar Democrats. Hmm. And just a, a fact that's uh, sort of interesting that people you know, generally wouldn't know, but in 1972, okay, that's not that long ago, in 1972, George Wallace, a segregationist from the South, governor, you know, the Alabama right. governor, uh, won the Democratic primary in Michigan. And in Maryland, and he did really well in Florida. And a lot of those, again, this is the Democratic primaries. I'm not saying Trump is George Wallace or anything like that, but I am saying there's a core of Democrat voters, most of whom haven't voted in recent elections because they, they haven't felt like they could go for a Republican. But the, the, to quote Ronald Reagan, the Democratic Party has left them behind. And there's still a large set of those. And I, I have talked to some pretty senior Democrat types, and uh, they're very worried that in a Trump-Clinton race that uh, he'll bring out a, a chunk of Democrat voters that wouldn't have otherwise voted. Hmm. That, could, could, that could really help him, especially in certain states. So, yeah, yeah so it, it could be a, 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 one one Democrat should be careful what you wish for. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of Democrats would love for Hillary to run against Trump, but it's, it's a very much more mixed situation than you might think of otherwise. Now, will Trump, will Trump be able to dominate the media agenda with Hillary? No, not the same way. Uh, first of all, it'll just be two people, and it'll be it'll be lining up, and 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 uh, I would say Hillary in in particular, but Clinton Inc. in general is pretty doggone good at dealing with the media. Yeah. So, so I think you got you, you you have a clash of the tights when it comes to dealing with the media. Do you think the media? One of the things it seems like um, is some of the media they're so enamored by kind of not knowing what Trump would say next. That, that, that they give deference to Trump. So, I mean, he gets a lot of access. Would that same kind of um, Irra- irrational, maybe erratic behavior give 
him uh, – will the media favor Trump as much as they have in a general election? Like they favored – he's getting all of the press because he's so erratic, I'm assuming. But it well, also I seems think, like the press yeah. likes it. They, they, they like him stirring the pot. So they do like him stirring the pot, and that's exactly what he does. That's what he does best. But if you – the real reason – I mean this is a little bit cynical, but to be fair, I also – uh, I have a friend in New York who's a pretty big-time publicist. He's on the Democrat side, but he, uh, uh, you know, he, he represents a lot of big companies and gets stories for them in, in all the big media outlets. He said, "Look, if you just track Trump and you track that against ratings points, everyone's ratings go up when Trump is there, and and that is." You know, almost hmm. irresistible these days for a lot of the big media outlets. Yeah, and so that that will be tempered somewhat when there's a, when there's actually a presidential uh, race. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even like talking about this. I, 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 <laughs> I actually can't contemplate. I know the, the fact of Trump getting the in the nominations. I just can't. No, nobody's that. been able to, but he keeps pushing along. I mean, well, he keeps he keeps pushing along, but I just keep going back to the the numbers, I think he's the, the, the speed of light. I mean, he's <laughs> you know twenty five to thirty percent or so. Yeah, he's flipped up, a, you know, sometimes and flipped down. But basically, as you say, he's got thirty one percent, thirty plus percent support. Um, I think that's the speed of light for him. I don't think he's anyone's second choice. Right, right. So in the end. I mean, that's what we'll have to see. And and I guess what's great, like you said, March by March 15th, we're going to know. So we're not talking, you know, eight more months of this. We're talking two, two and a half. Well, maybe. I, I'm not so sure we're going to know by March 15th. What we're going to know is that anyone gets 50, did anyone get 51 percent? If no hmm. one gets 51 percent going this, into the convention, yeah. then you have a, a, a lot of posting up, pushing and shoving and then you 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 actually could have a very interesting uh, time going into the convention. Yeah, well, maybe that'll be great for all of our children to see the real work of a convention. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to find a positive light. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope the positive they see is, is that the convention would come to its senses. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what what are we missing, Joe? Anything else we need to be paying attention to that's out there? maybe coming up the next few weeks? Well, you know, we talked a little bit offline about Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. The, uh, uh, just to, to go on the record, he's not going to resign. He's not a quitter. He's a tough, 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 tough brawler fighter. Well, and Chicago's yeah. the toughest political city in the world, isn't it? I mean, that's like, that is brawlerville. Yeah, and he's taken a lot of shots from his own party and from the left. But at the end of the day, I don't think they even have a recall provision for a mayor, A, <laughs> And B, uh, the city council, they don't call it, whatever they call it, is, is very solidly behind him. Boy, the but it... we talked, the other thing we talked online about is what you know. What does the president do in his last year? Yeah, which uh, looks like know, we're going for guns right now. Is what President Obama is looking at. Well, guns and climate. He's yeah. still uh, he's still spending a lot of attention, and the, and the climate issue is important because. Uh, uh, EPA is rolling, has rolled and is rolling out a, a whole series of, uh, of regulations, and he's going to bat for them because they tie into the climate argument. Mm. 
So, so as a as the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, why isn't he 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 needs to be dealing with you? Well, we've had a number of meetings in the White House, not with him, but with with people uh, uh, with his with his White House staff, with the uh, very senior people at EPA and DOE. Yeah, I, I did want to say one thing: with, with gas prices so low, I'm not sure we are. <laughs> The defining aspect of our foundation these days is getting low gas prices, since we already are below two dollars. Yeah, right. Wide, which is a great thing. We like to say that we want to foster competition, so that when gas prices go back up again, people have a choice. Mm. That's great. Um, and so. and so uh, I'm assuming then the gas prices are going to go up eventually, and you just want to make sure that there's competition between all of the agents that to to keep yeah, the cost low. The people have a choice at the pump because the market is the best way to keep prices low. Mm. That's right. I like it. Joe Cannon, you did it again, you little Washington insider, you. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Cannon's his name, folks. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org, helping to foster competition uh, to keep our fuel prices lower here in the United States. Great job. And uh, he's also here to just kind of walk us through what's going on on the inside of all of these – political debates. Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break. We'll come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh man, so many things we could have talked about with the old, uh, the gold, good old Washington insider Joe Cannon. One of the things I forgot to ask him is Marco Rubio reportedly banking on losing the first four states and then winning the GOP nomination anyway. Now, is that possible? Well, it might be if it gets all the way to convention. But even I guess what happens is if I, you come in second or third in three or four states, you're in the running, especially when. Old Trumpster's going to pull 30% anyway or whatever the numbers are. Let's just get this thing over with. I mean, we don't want to sound negative about it. But in the end, it's hard, isn't it, to to stay excited about any of this for too long of time? Remember, too, by the way, it's it's really our responsibility. We are the ones that will be voting. So let's make sure that you're getting informed, you're getting the questions you ask, that you need asked and answered. Um we, we really just – it's our job. That's – you may not love everything that's going on, but uh, but teach your kids too. I mean my family, we get to talk a lot about Donald Trump and what they're feeling about that and um, what's really going on in the political world. Many times they're like, Dad, what are we? Are we Democrats or Republicans? What are we? And I'm finding out it's getting harder and harder to say what we are, um, but it's powerful because it's making me look – what my values are, what my principles are. So don't just even define yourself as a Republican or a Democrat. Maybe just try to understand what your views really are uh, fiscally, in in, uh, social policy, and just your ultimate goals. Anyway, interesting stuff, folks. That's the first hour of the show. We're done with politics. Next hour, a lot of great stuff coming up. We are going to be talking about how to be your own therapist from a therapist. Great advice on that topic. Stick with us, folks trying to give you the tools and information you need to live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Remember, we do what we can on this program to not just bring you the news, but the information that you need to actually make it through life. I mean, we could talk about terrorism all day long, but what are you supposed to do about it? We could talk about mental health issues all day long, but what are you supposed to do about it? That's the goal of the show. Give you the tools, the information that you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Today's no different, by the way. Today is clean off your desk day. Clean it off. Uh, I I have I have two desks. One here at BYU Broadcasting. One at my coaching office. My coaching office desk not cleaned off. And every time I walk in there, stresses me out. Papers everywhere. Papers everywhere. Do you need everything? No. Do you have a person? I, I, my person, I do, I did, and but I need a new person because my other person moved on. Could they? Is there somebody you have kids? Yes. Could they show up to the office? No. Bring boxes and just take <laughs> everything, and then take it out to a. Dumpster? No, because see, I have attachment to these issues, oh. these piles. So you need to go through it. Yeah, I need to go through it and say, yeah, we need to keep that. We need to get rid of this. We need what is this? I but need to ask like, what is this? You're not doing it probably no. because of procrastination. Mm-hmm. I need a therapist, and that's our topic today: hmm. how to do therapy on yourself. Jessica Thompson's and going you're to qualified join us. to do that. I am. <laughs> My deal. It's just overwhelming because I. But it's great. I mean, it's a great problem to have. Two offices, I guess. Hmm. But my my office here pretty clean. Yeah, I mean, there's there's papers, there's random pictures, the Unabomber's on the wall. Yeah, Millie Vanilli is uh, on the wall. A lot of these people actually work for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> or at <laughs> least you you say that they symbolize that person or well, resemble. Well, or we both. have we have people that wear sweatshirts and mm-hmm. and glasses, and they look like the Unabomber. And hoodies, yes. And I even made a joke about that to Kaylee. I said, Kaylee, you look like the Unabomber. And she said, no, I said, you look like Ted Kaczynski. Mm. And she said, who? Yeah, she had no idea. Yeah. So that's why I put it up there, because these students need to learn that when I say you look like Ted Kaczynski, that's not a nice thing. She went, thank you. No, that's not a— Today's also Milk Day. Yeah. Milk Day, uh, which for lactose intolerance is the worst day of the year. Apparently. It's a bad year. Uh, it is the worst day of the year. Milk Day. Are you a big milk drinker? No. Me either. But After I, a while, I just stopped drinking milk. And then you, you read, maybe you don't need as much milk as uh, as the National Dairy Board thinks you do. Yeah. The, it's like the Dairy Board's trying to kill us. What are <laughs> or, they doing? Or calcify us, whichever. Yeah, I'm not a big milk drinker. Ben, you you're a big ice cream eater. Yeah, but not much of not much of a milk drinker. Really? Yeah. Just ice cream. Mm-hmm. Just like your milk frozen. Yeah, pretty much. And a lot of sugar mixed in. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Did you hear about this? Man, a cop told his boss. This went crazy. You I know you've heard it cuz you found the story yeah. for crying out loud. Yeah. A rookie cop uh, in Connecticut claimed that he needed time off to work in the in the reserve and go to his reserve training. So he took two weeks off 
which is paid. They get paid two weeks. They get like a month off. Like the Army Reserve. Yeah, or Air 30 Force, days whatever. of paid leave for deployment. But um, when the Stanford police officer, Donald Chen, was caught in the lie, he really wasn't on going on reserve duty. He was actually going to be with his girlfriend on vacation in Hawaii. Oh. Weird. Which, by the way, is right where Don got back from, our boss Don. Yeah. I hope – I wonder – I hope he didn't say that he was going on reserve duty. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to start something here. <laughs> but he just walked in and he looked all – he had he had that little kiss, that aloha spirit. Mm. The aloha spirit. Anyway, Stanford police – yeah. Officer Donald Chen was caught in the lie. He now has resigned and faces criminal charges of felony, larceny, and fraud – According to the Stanford Advocate, so he told his bosses he had to go on reserve duty. Yeah, yet like National Guard no, reserve. Yep, didn't go. And instead of doing the training, that probably I don't know. The story doesn't really say if he actually had training or not. But then he goes to Hawaii instead. Well, then what happened though? Um, what, there may have been fraud because eventually the guard started looking for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they the were like wondering where he was. Have you seen this? So he was. Yeah, that's that's not that's not good planning when your excuse calls your boss and says, hey, have you seen this guy? And because well, and part of it is because he has been he had asked for 30 days of paid leave for deployment and he was granted that time off. Then eight days into the faux military leave, army officials called Stanford's police department looking for Chen. Alarmed the cops. uh were worried and they launched a missing person. So he must be missing because he was supposed to be with you guys. Yeah. It's kind of like when you went out with your friends. Exactly. And then someone's mother calls and messes up everything. You tell your mom, I'm over at your house. I'll tell your mom, I'm at your house. Everything's covered, foolproof plan. And then someone calls somebody and it's over. The fastest way out, when they found out, when Chen found out they were looking for him, the police department was looking for him, They he then said, oh, I had to rush to Taiwan because my dad had had a heart attack. And was undergoing surgery in Taiwan. Hmm. Except. He was in Hawaii. His parents live in Queens. Oh. And his dad's fine. I mean, you don't mess with the cops this way. These are the cops. I mean, Don Hmm. could get away with it here because we're not cops. Right. And we all just go, yeah, you went to Hawaii. Whatever. And we know Don's not even in the reserve. Right. So it's not going to get him anywhere. That's that. He sounds like a bad liar. Horrible liar. Maybe he he didn't think through things just a little bit. What if one phone call unraveled his entire plan well yeah and you don't say you're going to be deployed he he asked for 30 days paid leave for deployment yeah that means you're going you're going to be deployed i mean that's a big deal yeah okay it's a fake deployment i don't know how you talk your way out of that you don't you resign and walk away you resign and you're a rookie for heaven's sakes come on well then the parents thing they that's usually something you can find through yeah, maybe your your work. They're cops. Records. Yeah, all they got to do is look up Mr. <laughs> Chen's, and then the idea that he said they're in Taiwan. Yeah, that seems racist. Could be. I don't know. I feel bad. <laughs> that was just a bad episode of lying. It's a bad. So back to probably just don't lie. Hey, there's a rule for you. Principle of the day: just don't lie. Don't lie. Just do your job, or lie better. Like, what, he didn't have vacation time to take his girlfriend on a vacation uh, for a week? Apparently not. Well, that's where you have to just wait. Well, he's a rookie, right? Yeah. So you probably don't get much vacation time at that point. Ah, <sighs> It's hard. 
It's hard to be a rookie. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the country or the world we need to focus on? There are. Thanks, Matt. An upbeat State of the Union address can be expected from President Obama Tuesday night, according to aides who spoke with the New York Times. The speech offers Obama's both last chance at uh, bullet-pointing his own legacy as well as countering the negative narratives spun by Republicans on the campaign trail. Sounds like a great speech. Riveting. Riveting. <laughs> Even while as many as 68% of Americans believe the nation to be on the wrong track, Obama will likely continue to highlight positives such as job creation numbers as well as push his president- presidency's lingering, pol- or, uh, lingering policy issues like gun control and climate change. So, hmm. okay, of, some of the same. Um, it takes about three and a half hours to fly from New York City to Des Moines, Iowa. Did you know that? I did not know that. A flight Donald Trump is intimately familiar with, as he has not slept in the state of Iowa this whole time he's run for president. He he's just been in commutes Iowa. Back. He commutes back and forth. But he can he could just sleep on his monster jet, his Trump jet. He's, he's got a bedroom on there. Just sleep there. So he doesn't want to 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 sleep. Anywhere other, he doesn't want to sleep in hotels. He doesn't want to be around the country on the hmm. campaign trail. Trump gets back on his plane at the end of every day so he can sleep in his own bed in New York. Some strategists think Trump's affection for his home costs him votes, but Trump defends the process, saying that he needs time in his Manhattan office to run his business, and his morning view of Central Park can't hurt either. He says it works for me very well. Wow. So well, I mean, eventually the president just has to go where they need to go, right? Well, yeah, but at the moment he's once. What's he going to do with his business if he wins as president? Probably turn it over to his kids. They're okay. kind of running it anyways. He's the he's probably got the final say, but they run all the different divisions. So how would they do if they lost the best negotiator in the world? Wow. Well, that would be a big sacrifice for the Trump family. <laughs> It'd be a sacrifice in the name of the country. <laughs> Uh, legendary songwriter David Bowie died Sunday following a battle with cancer. His representatives have confirmed he was 69. Bowie was born David Jones in London on January 8th of 1947. He changed his name in 1966 because uh, there was a, another Davy Jones with the monkeys. That's right. You don't want to be confused oh, wow. with him. This is from the, Ho- from the Hollywood Reporter. Over a 40-year career, Bowie was known for songs like Let's Dance, Space Oddity, Heroes, Changes, China Girl, Modern love, fashion, and fame, as well as several movies, including Labyrinth, The Hunger, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, and The Last Temptation of Christ. His Mm. final album, Black Star, was released last week to coincide with his 69th birthday. Holy cow. I did not know that. So it was just released, and then he passed away. 18 months of cancer, too. You think we're going to get our hands around this cancer thing someday? Uh, The Mexican government launched the process of extraditing El Chapo to the United States, according to the statement from a country's attorney general on Sunday. Interpol Mexico agents served two arrest warrants to Guzman. He's El Chapo, the uh, mm-hmm. El Chapo, the, uh, the cartel boss. That's what they would call him. Uh, he's wanted on federal charges of drug trafficking in San Diego, Brooklyn, New York, El Paso, Texas, Miami, and Chicago. Not sure who gets first dibs. Maybe they just call it federal and go with it. The 58-year-old head of the Sinoa cartel escaped from maximum security prison in July and was recaptured Friday. It was the second time he broke out of jail. Mexico is also considering an investigation of actor Sean Penn, who has secretly interviewed Guzman for Rolling Stone. Uh, after his jailbreak, unnamed Mexican officials have said that Penn's meeting helped to track down the fugitive, somehow exposing mm. his location, and they were able to grab him. I doubt that. You doubt that it was Penn? I doubt. I mean, 
Yeah, it seems like if Guz, it seems like Chapo, El Chapo wanted to talk to Penn. Mm. Penn didn't find El Chapo. Yeah. So I mean, I could see that. No, I really couldn't. The way I, the way the story puts it is, uh, El Chapo reached out to a Mexican uh, soap opera star, right? And she then brought and she in. She reached out to Pashan Penn. Yeah. It's not like I mean they have a lot of people looking for El Chapo. I have a high doubt that it was Penn that like found the dude. But there's uh, but the he, uh, he wanted to be found. He wants to be famous. Yeah, El Chapo. Yeah. So okay, interesting. And this one I found. I thought this would be interesting for you. Yes, you've talked multiple times about how you want to be driven to work. Yes, but there's a lot of steps between where we are now uh-huh. and that point where the car drives up automatically, right. picks you up, and some robot mind drives oh. you to work. And BYU Broadcasting won't get me a chauffeur, i right. asked. So we have to go to robots, and there's a lot of steps. <sighs> a major government announcement could dramatically reduce crashes on our roads, equipping the country's cars and trucks with vehicle-to-vehicle technology, or what's called V2V. Mm-hmm. V2V. V2V. Will essentially allow vehicles to see each other and warn of a potential danger before a driver knows it's there. The Department of Transportation has now taken a key step towards requiring the technology to be in every car in the U.S., Wow. Uh, this, according to U.S. Transportor, Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox, says we can expect the potential impact of up to 80% of crashes today avoided because of this technology. V2V uses a technology similar to Wi-Fi, allowing cars in close proximity to share information like speed and direction several times a second. This is great. This allows the car to warn the driver before changing lanes or about a hazard ahead. Some cars already come up uh, come with blind spot detection and automatic braking to prevent some collisions. I love so this, it. This is make sure your car have this proximity sensor yeah. that communicates with other cars' proximity sensors and everyone stays away from each other. Yeah. That's called like uh, – what do they call that? Herd mentality or flock mentality. Hmm. So all a bird has to do to stay in perfect sync with the rest of the flock – is that what they call it? Yeah. Um, is – I need to stay a foot off of your rear and a foot to your left or whatever, and I just need a few coordinates, and then that makes sure that everybody is in alignment. Is in alignment. But so they're we trying just to have do, to pay attention to a few things. So they're trying to do that with cars. Oh, and they'll have systems. Cool. And that's the first step. Then you that's automate it. it. Then I can sleep. And then Jeeves, your, yeah, your computer program, guy. Jeeves, shows up to your house in the morning. I still want a chauffeur. It'd be like 20 years. In a little chauffeur outfit. You want an actual chauffeur? Uh-huh. Okay. I want to look ben, like Arthur. What, ben, in the what back are you doing it. in the mornings? Could you drive to Matt's house? I'm busy. Okay. Well, okay. I guess he Ben's doesn't off drive. I don't think. Well, he's got a skateboard and a yeah. bike. Yeah, that's useless. He, you he could, can't help me. Okay. We could like do tandem skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. No. Let's see. That would then I wouldn't be. I want to be able to not have to drive, so I can just get ready for work. In the car. Shave. Oh wow. Bathe. So you need like a van. Yes. Something you can, like, move around. I need, like, a motorhome. Do some yoga on the way in? No. No yoga? I'd make a great breakfast. Okay. You want to cook in there? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is getting better. I'm going to check into Don. Maybe Don will let me do that. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's a lot of money, but we've already got cars. BYU Broadcasting has cars. You are the talent, too. And I am the talent for this show. I'm going to ask Don. I bet he'll let me. I mean, I bet he'll pay for it. Mm, We'll see. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, uh, do you need therapy, but you can't necessarily afford it? Well, what if uh, a therapist could teach us how to do therapy on yourself? That's what we're up for next, folks. Jessica Thompson will be joining us. And uh, she wrote a wonderful article about how to do therapy on yourself from a therapist 
just going to teach us the just some of the basic uh, things we need to watch out for about our emotions, about our focus. Stick with us, folks. We're going to teach you Therapy 101 so you can treat yourself and maybe even uh, help those that you love. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know, therapy can be immensely helpful and conducive to actual healing. And today, many people are positively engaged in therapy of all of all sorts, of all types. As early as 2004, a survey from the American Psychological Association reported that nearly half of American households had some seeking mental health help in that year. Going to therapy, however, may not always be possible for financial reasons. Our guest today, Jessica Thompson, is a therapist who recently wrote an article for BuzzFeed entitled, Here's How to Do Therapy on Yourself, According to a Therapist. She joins us now live from Jamaica. Is that right, Miss Thompson? Are you in Jamaica? Yes, that, is, that is correct. That's some good therapy right there. <laughs> the sunshine really does wonders. It does, doesn't it? It's good to have yeah. you on the show with us. Uh, because, I mean, therapy, it's... I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to go to therapy, but mm-hmm. they need the help. And then some can't necessarily afford it because insurance right. doesn't always cover what you need. Talk to mm-hmm. us about, uh, can you really do therapy on yourself? Um, in a sense. the This article came about because I was thinking about, I, I had a conversation with my friend here in Jamaica about the state of mental health care and how there's still a really big stigma about getting help even when you need it and so I started to think about what are the things that I tell my clients most often because even clients that have been in therapy before have been resistant to even call it therapy. I think that's just kind of a buzzword that people are a little bit um, hesitant to even say. So I would, I mean, in a work setting I would call uh, a meeting with a client a check-in rather than therapy even though we were doing therapy and so what I'm suggesting in this article are therapeutic techniques that I would suggest to people who are currently in therapy because when you're kind of trying to address emotional issues, it's not just that you go see somebody for an hour a week. Um, it really starts to take effect when you use the techniques that you learn mm. in your everyday life and they kind of just become a part of your mental landscape. Yeah, and, and I love that because... it. That I wrote are... are kind of things that you can do on your own just to change your perspective. Right. Because, I mean, I I already see in my own practice many therapists Mm -hmm. calling it coaching, um, you know, or helping to, you know, mentor or other things like Mm -hmm. that. And so really what you're talking about, there's just certain skills that therapists are trying, many times are trying to just um, help their, their clients, their people learn. Exactly. And it's not the therapy that matters as much as the per, the activity in the, you mm-hmm. know, doing these activities. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. so what are some of the activities that we need to to get good at, and and we could even do ourselves? Mm-hmm. Well, I talked about five. Um, I think the one that I talk about most often is just to challenge yourself to think positive thoughts, and it sounds like a really simple thing to do, but a lot of times our brain becomes used to thinking negatively, like something doesn't go your way and you immediately blame yourself or think something really um, 
extreme, like use words like always and never, like, oh, I always mess up or things never go my way. And then that kind of can influence your thoughts, your feelings, and then your behaviors mm. because it really influences the way that you approach situations. And, and, so, and you can do that, right? You can take a negative thought and you suggest replace it with two positive ones. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Just so that it changes the habit that you have of thinking a negative thought into thinking a positive thought. And perspective really goes a long way. It sounds really just a little bit too simple to be true, but it it really is. Well, and I can just imagine if if you're my therapist and I came and saw you, I can hear me talking about this happened and this was negative and this was negative, and then you could eventually notice that I have negative thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And then you assign me, okay, this this week what I want you to do is try to take a negative thought and replace it with two positive ones. That feedback you just gave me, I now need to go do, right? or none of this is going to work. Exactly, exactly. And that's the that's kind of the essence of what I was writing, that it's, it's much more accessible than it seems because these are things that you can just do and it doesn't have to take a whole lot of energy or a whole lot of time to, to do these things that can ultimately be really helpful in changing your mood and to help you to reach your emotional goals. Hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that is so like a no-brainer. Like, let's just start there. Another one, though, that you mentioned that seems so big is just – Emotions. We. It mm-hmm. seems like a lot of people probably come to see you because their emotion. They feel like their emotions are getting away from them. Right. What yes, do we do I there? Think... Pardon. What do we do about our emotions? Um. Well, I think. I mean, that's such a broad question. I think it depends on what emotions you're you're dealing with here. Um. But a lot of what I do, especially in Jamaica, is normalizing emotions because. I think that um, we live in a time in which it's frowned upon to show emotions or discuss emotions, and that's part of the reason why even going to therapy or talking about therapy is so difficult because it, it's, it's sort of, it's almost like it means something bad about you that right. you, you, you need therapy or that you want therapy. And this accusation it's become of being emotional is often used to discredit people's thoughts and feelings. Like, oh, you're just being emotional and I don't have to take you seriously and... So in my experience, a lot of my work has just come from kind of taking that apart and helping people who struggle with discussing and showing emotions and talking to people about how they feel um, because everyone receives these messages that it's not okay to do that. Mm -hmm. There's this discomfort that's kind of associated with it. And I mean, as humans, we all feel emotions and it's natural to experience a range of emotions like anger or nervousness or disappointment or feeling hurt by someone else and um, suppressing emotions is not normal and it's, it's pretty damaging because emotions that have gone unchecked can intensify and seep out into your life in ways that you don't even realize until it's already happened. Yeah. So really, I guess part of it too that is just simply therapeutic is saying um, emotions aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just normal. That's just who you right. are. You should have these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if you don't feel them, then you're a robot. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's, we're, all, we're all human. It's, it's a very, very normal part of our lives as humans. And, and I guess part of the benefit of therapy would be to go in and share my emotions with mm-hmm. somebody. I guess that's part of what I could do, too. If I recognize my emotions are normal, not making me strong or weak, Mm-hmm. then I could I could just choose to start sharing them more with healthy people. Right. 
Right. Exactly. And I mean, the advantage of going to see a therapist or a psychologist is that this person is an objective person. Sometimes it can be difficult to share with people close to you because it makes them feel bad. But I have found that um, a lot of my clients tell me that when they do finally open up to somebody close to them, it's a really relieving thing because it's, it's not often met with the negative reaction that they think that it will be met with. It's often met with like, oh, I'm, I'm just so happy you told me this. You're not alone. I don't want you to feel alone. And then they build a sense of togetherness from that. And yeah. it's often very helpful. Well, and it is. I guess that's the powerful thing that all of us could probably learn too is mm-hmm. with our loved ones to learn to help them, you know, share their emotions with us and, and be the mm-hmm. healthy partner instead of somebody that keeps creating harder or more difficult emotions. Right, exactly. Powerful. Talk about one of the things, that, another one of your points is that we need to limit our wallowing time. So mm-hmm. explain that. Well, it's it's good to feel your feelings because, you know, you recognize that they're normal and it's okay to feel that. But um, sometimes it can be good to dwell on your emotions because it gives you time to think about and better understand what you're experiencing, which I, I encourage because, I mean, if we live in this world where we're not really supposed to talk about or explore our emotions, then we can't really understand them. And that's a big part of humanity that we're missing out on, mm. kind of getting to know ourselves in that way. But if you find yourself doing this for an extended period of time, it's, I, I tell people that it's important to try and break that cycle. Otherwise, you'll kind of spend all day in this mood and... Um, you you kind of want to avoid having it affect your everyday life. Yeah. Um, and it can be a slippery slope, and you'll end up just feeling awful all day. So, um, like, for example, a technique for anxiety is to set a time of day just to worry. So you kind of tell yourself throughout your day, okay, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, and then at 5.30, 10 minutes of worry. And then that's when you let the anxiety in, and yeah. then you feel it. And then you set a timer, and once that 10 minutes is up, then you're finished. And you, you kind of put the worries aside. I've also heard of people using a specific place, like uh, I've read about someone having a worry chair, just a specific chair in their home that they sit in just to worry. And then when they get up, they put it aside and focus on something else. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a similar concept to limit your wallowing time. It, it allows you to be present and mindful of your emotions while also allowing you to move on with your day or night in a productive way. Yeah, and, and not letting it creep into everything you mm-hmm. do all day. Yeah. Right. Which, which, exactly. which is so strange to me, Jessica, because it's, I guess what we're also saying is your anxiousness, your, your uh, wallowing need to wallow, it's very much in your control. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, that's it is. which is so refreshing, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's to know that I can control this more uh, should be freeing. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you you certainly can, and that's something that's that's often one of the goals of therapy to learn control of these things because I think that a lot of times we feel like if we do let the emotions in, then they'll just completely consume us, and um, I, I feel like that might be part of this um, this desire to not feel. Because then you're in control all the time, right? But, yeah. You know, emotions are these kind of out there things that it's just perceived as this very chaotic um, experience when we're the ones having the emotions and our brains are so much more powerful than we think they are. And we control our brains. So Absolutely. We have a lot more influence over how we react to things than 
we think we do. Yeah. Let's take a break um, and continue this discussion in a minute. We're speaking with Jessica Thompson, uh, author of the article, Here's How to Do Therapy on Yourself, According to a Therapist. She's a BuzzFeed contributor and uh, wrote that article uh, there with BuzzFeed. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion about uh, how to do your own therapy on yourself, how to find that peace, normalize some of your emotions, and... um, and improve and create better health. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking about uh, how to do therapy on yourself, and it's an article written by Jessica Thompson, who holds a Master's of Science in Counseling Psychology from Northeastern University in Boston and uh, currently lives and works in her hometown of Kingston, Jamaica. She uh, wrote the article on BuzzFeed, and I thought it was just fascinating. Man, what if we could sit down and actually learn to perform Um, therapy on ourselves. And Jessica's joining us from uh, Kingston, Jamaica, to give us uh, her insight on her article. Jessica, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Appreciate your insight on all of this. And basically what you're saying is when you go to a therapist anyway, there's just certain skills or tools they're trying to instill or share. And um, some of them you've already taught us are to recognize that your emotions are normal, Mm-hmm. But limit your wallowing time um, and then counter every negative thought with two positive ones. Mm-hmm. All skills that we could go practice right now. Um, now. Another point you bring up is to turn our focus outwards towards other people. How How is that helping us? Well, sometimes when we focus too much on ourselves, our mind tricks us into thinking that our experiences are totally unique, and that's very an isolating feeling. And so we start to feel like we're alone and that nobody really understands what we're going through, um, And so, which is not at all true, by the way. So a good way to get out of this is to turn your focus outwards and do something with or for someone else. So um, say you can go and do a favor for a friend, um, cook something, um, volunteer. You could volunteer at a local charity. Hmm. Um, call someone just to ask about their day or talk to someone around you about something going on in the news or in their lives. Um, and this, not only does it feel good to interact with other people and in some cases be helpful to them, but it takes your mind off of whatever was bothering you before. Um, and human interaction significantly improves your mood in most cases because humans are social beings. And so there's a lot of research done on community of feeling like you're part of a community and part of something with other people and even human touch like hugging is very therapeutic i recently read that like a 10 second hug actually releases a happy hormone in Mm. your brain so um, focusing outwards can really help just because if we're too inwards then kind of starts to snowball into this cycle of negativity and it's and I, I mean that's what's so interesting. It seems like with a lot of the people I work with, it, mm-hmm. all they really need is um, 
is if they can't get the thoughts out of themselves, then they just end up stewing in their head, spinning on the thought. And you're saying maybe just redirect the attention from inside of yourself to outside Mm -hmm. of yourself. Right, yeah. I mean, even watching a TV show or a movie can be helpful because then your attention shifts from your story to someone else's. Yeah. And then if I'm serving another person, it might even take it to another level because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing I'm doing good for some other human. Right. Absolutely. Powerfully. And that, that feels great. Yeah. I mean, again, ther- that, that is, I guess, the definition of therapy is, is yeah. feeling better um, right. and, and, and doing something that takes you kind of to a healthier level. Wow. And really, it's because one of my concerns about a lot of therapeutic practices is they they sometimes might make us almost more self-centered, more Mm -hmm. self-focused, more self-absorbed. And this seems to take it the completely opposite direction. Right. Yeah. This is um, turning focus outward. I I learned that from studying a little bit of DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which was designed for um, borderline personality disorder which is characterized by really intense emotional experiences. And so in order to still be able to function, I mean, you want to have a level of introspection and kind of knowing what's going on within you, but then you also want to still do daily things. And turning outwards is a really great way of shifting your attention so that you can focus on continuing to live. Yeah. I mean, that's another big part of therapy for me. Like, I want people to be functional. And, I mean, an, an, a colleague of mine said that one of her old professors described us in the mental health profession as we're the only people who are trying to put ourselves out of a job. Yeah. So, like, I don't want you to need me indefinitely. I want to be able to give you these skills, and then you do them yourselves, and then you, you function in a way that you want to function. Mm. I mean, how would it be if we could put everyone out of business uh, even if we could just empower people more to handle, I mean, there's always going to be chemical issues and other issues, right. but I guess that would get more into the medical side than even mm-hmm. the therapeutic side. Talk mm-hmm. about uh, your last point you bring up. Your first point was that emotions are normal, and mm-hmm. so the the final tool you give us is that we need to find a way to to let our emotions out mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Because some people can get their emotions taken care of by just medicating. Right. Or, or, you know, self-medicating or getting into an addiction or mm-hmm. some of us don't try to get our emotions out. We just we just stuff them and avoid and fake it. Right. Yeah. What should we do to get our emotions out in a safer way? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like to suggest writing. I think writing is a great one because it's, it's very accessible. Um, you don't have to be this amazing, talented artist to utilize, to, to utilize this form of emotional release and um, freeform writing, just if you're having a moment of, of an intense emotion like sadness or anxiety, just write whatever it is that you're thinking and feeling and then keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And a lot of times I wouldn't even say that you should go back and read it because just the act of writing is enough to let it out. Yeah. And I've done this myself before, and it, it really is helpful in settling my mind and also just having to focus on something, like writing what you're thinking. It's it kind of helps you to focus less on what you're feeling so that you can kind of dig yourself out of this this emotional hole. And mm. a lot of people journal and find it to be really helpful. So that can be therapeutic. And if you are a bit more artistically inclined, painting or coloring also works really well because people respond to colors. 
like some colors can be emotionally charged, like yellows tend to be more calming and reds are more vibrant and oranges and colors like that. And um, I had a client who loved to make jewelry because the repetitive act of stringing beads Hmm. can be really calming. And that also focuses your attention. And it's kind of a form of meditation because meditation really is just one form of meditation is just focusing on a single point and blocking everything else out and being fully present. And so doing something like making jewelry or knitting yeah. or weaving or um, really anything that's repetitive that you can just kind of do and focus on that, then that can be, that can be really therapeutic. And it gets the energy out. I've noticed that mm-hmm. it allows you to actually dis, you know, dissipate the energy and then I guess one of the downsides sometimes is that you want to go back and read it, but by reading it, you might just be reinfecting yourself right. with the thought. Yeah, and then yeah. you just remind yourself why you were upset in the first place. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it, and then you right, feel it again. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, I know that this is why a lot of people tell me that they find running to be so therapeutic because – not only is it repetitive, you have to make sure that it's just one foot in front of the other and mm. you're paying attention to your form, and then you start to pay attention to your breathing, and that in itself can be a form of meditation. Right. Yeah, and, and you so are so that's present. That's another great way to let your emotions out. Exercise. And right. Exercise is clinically proven to change your brain. I mean, 20 minutes of rigorous exercise re- changes your brain and reduces anxiety. It's like a reset button. Oh man! And if you could, mm-hmm. if you could be running and knitting at the same time, at the same time, and writing something, you'd be into yeah. something. There really it's is power, though, level huh? Of meditation. Yeah, and then these are habits. These are things that you can get into, mm-hmm. um, and they're therapeutic. And I mean, like the neat thing. I mean, if you're going to watch TV kind of mindlessly anyway, right. uh, there might be something more powerful to to doing something that actually you see as a hobby, you see as value add, like go make a necklace or be, you know, string together some beads and then go give those to somebody starts integrating two or three of your ideas together. Exactly. And a lot of these are either free, like running, you, all you need is just your body and legs. You may have exactly, or, or writing. I mean, you have a pen and paper handy, so it doesn't have to be, uh, really expensive and definitely these can just be everyday things that's kind of what i wanted to do just help to give people tools of you don't need to go out and buy anything extra it's just something that you'll have laying around that you can utilize to your advantage mm, i love it no I, th- I think it's so healthy for all of us um jessica as we wrap this up is there one thing that i just think of kind of the average mom that's maybe stressed feeling anxious maybe feeling like they're not succeeding what is um, or dad, you know, that that can't get a hold of, get get ahead of his life? What would you say is is the one thing that we should all remember? That's a that's just the great foundation for um, emotional healing. Mm-hmm. Um, positive self talk, definitely. I would say that this is the the number one thing because. Um, self-talk is basically just what you tell yourself. You're talking to yourself. And if you are constantly feeding yourself negative messages, then you start to see yourself in a negative light. Mm. And um, so it's important to tell yourself good things. Like I started to, at the end of the day, write down five good things that happened in that day. And they didn't have to be extraordinary things. They could just be like, you know, I caught a bunch of green lights today. And that was a nice thing that happened. And so... By feeding yourself positive messages, then it can change your narrative. 
Yeah. And that's tremendously helpful in your emotional health because, I mean, you mentioned like someone who can't, who feels like they can't get ahead of themselves. I mean, maybe their perspective is that way because they're telling themselves that. So instead you could be like, well, I'm successful in a lot of other things. And um, then it kind of allows you to stay motivated because you see yourself in this positive way. Right. Oh, that's powerful. I mean, it really is. And it's it's something that we can catch and, and do ourselves. Well, Jessica, right. we appreciate you and your great work. Have a uh, We hope you have a great continuing practice and keep writing, Thank keep you. writing stuff so Thank we can... You. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really, I was really excited when, I, when you asked. It was oh, good. a real honor. Thank well, you we so appreciate much. it. And we, we appreciate, too, just the fact that you're giving us hope um, without having to necessarily go pay for the therapist. Right, uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a huge barrier, and I just, I just want to make it so that everyone can have this. Well, good work. You did it. We're going to take a break, folks. Uh, you know, so much to learn. And really, we want to be better, right? We want to be healthier, and there's a lot of information out there. The question is, in the end, are we going to use it? It's one thing to go pay big money to a therapist to teach us these things, but no matter what, we still have to do them. So just pick one of those great ideas Jessica brought us and uh, start start there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. More ideas to make your life hopefully a little easier. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting uh, conversation. Matt, if you could just go to a therapist, uh, or if you didn't need to go to the therapist and you could just do it yourself, we're going to put a lot of therapists out of business. (laughs) Ben's like, yes. I mean, therapists do great work, but many times they're just, they're, they're really just reflective listeners, right? They're listening well. And what would happen if you had a friend that was a, just a really good listener? Are you that kind of friend that you can perform that listening function, um, you know, for your partner to, to help get their emotions out? Oh, it's, it's not easy. I get it. I know. I know. It's not easy. And so um, when you think about it, and I, I see this a lot in my practice there's there's these signs, okay? I call them – you don't need to just always be, I don't know, totally ready and engaged to just listen to your partner. But there are times you have to be ready to be engaged and listen to your partner. There's three signs I look for, and I learned about them um, – I learned about this concept as an emergency medical technician. So right after uh, – uh, when I was about 21, I guess, I was an EMT – on an ambulance, and I was certified in you know life support or basic life support, and uh, learned all the tools and the rules and and how to how to basically take care of somebody in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. And one of the first things they taught us is you got to check vital signs, right? Vital signs, because you need to know where your patient is. There's a very basic baseline for where your patient is, and you need to check you know pulse. Uh, respirations, if you could, oxygenation, see how well they're oxygenating. You could take a, a blood pressure, just basic signs. 
And the neat thing about humans is we pretty much have these very basic vital signs. And then what happens is there's a very powerful um, pattern that doctors and, and hospitals use where when you come in and see them, you can say whatever you want to say about why, what you're feeling, and they'll be listening to you. But while they're listening to you, they're going to check your vital signs, right? They're going to check your temperature. They're going to check a bunch of different things. All of those are signs of something going on deeper down. And what I have found is just like we have it physiologically, we have vital signs. Emotionally, we have vital signs as well. So there's three signs I'm constantly looking for in the people that are around me. Negative emotion is a sign. There's a sign of something deeper going on. And if you see negative emotion in somebody, instead of yapping and instead of arguing and telling them your point of view, I wouldn't tell them. I would just try to understand where their emotion is coming from. So I look for negative emotion. I look for misunderstanding. And I look for mistrust. When I see those signs, I know I need to kind of get out of my agenda and get into the agenda of the other person, right? So if, if, my, if my spouse comes home and they're slamming doors, that's negative emotion. I should see that, pay attention to that. I should try to understand what's going on. Hey, babe, I can see you're frustrated. Tell me what's going on. I'm just mad because the kids took my whatever and I can't find it and I've got to go use it right now. There's frustration. Behind every negative emotion, you're going to hear a story. People want to tell their story because they would love the emotion to go away. So what if as humans, we could just start paying attention to the negative emotion, the misunderstandings. Misunderstanding simply means when something's going on and you don't know why it's going on and there's a misunderstanding. If, I'm, if, if I have a, a person that's, that's quiet and, and shuts down, I'm going to know they have negative emotion and I don't understand exactly why. I shouldn't just guess. Is this because of what happened last year? <laughs> I mean, last year's example of, of this same you know, behavior may not be very accurate. So I, what I'd love to do is recognize the emotion. You seem really upset. What's going on? Share with me why you're upset. Because if I could get the story, that would increase my understanding, right? And then if I could understand the person and not you know, make them worse, then they could trust me. So that's what we're looking for in our relationships, emotional management, understanding, and trust. That's the best thing I've ever learned to know when I need to be listening to somebody. When I see that they're negative emotionally, when I don't understand why and I don't understand their reasoning, try to understand it, and do they trust me to share it? Anyway, that's where I'd start working with the people I love, the people I care about, a little coach's corner for you right there. Emotional management, it's hard stuff, let alone doing it with each other. Near impossible. We'll take a break, folks. Next hour, we've got more ideas for you, more tools. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And uh, by the way, happy January 11th. Clean off your desk day. Is the day to clean off your desk? Not clean out your desk, Ben? 
I misspoke that earlier. You gave me a scare, so yeah. I hope you're happy with yourself. I would actually believe you were scared if you were actually listening to me when I said it, because we were on the air. Yeah, I don't listen too often. <laughs> when, would you recommend going through the items on your desk or just indiscriminately pushing it into the garbage can? Yeah, that's what I do. Just, I mean, the big things you want to keep. Well, the computer. Yeah. Anything that could be reprinted. Okay. Books. Probably shouldn't have been printed in the first place. But random sheets of paper? Just, yeah. Okay. Toss them. If they were important, you would have put them away years ago. Really? That's what my mom says. Hmm. If it was really that important to you, you'd think you'd put it away. Yeah, our our uh, our desk at home, mm-hmm. where we do our taxes, that's usually the where, tax I, where, desk. I, where I sit to do taxes, uh-huh. it's got a pile of stuff. Have you started your taxes? No. Well, you always do it early. Well. So I thought for sure you'd be on it. Since there's money coming back, because I've overpaid. boy. Then yeah. And then my wife acts like it's it's brand new money. <laughs> and we go, you know, rebuild part of the house. It's great. <laughs> then you add, yeah. She goes, what part of the house are we going to fix this year? With the brand new money from the... the I'm like, no, that's the, the money nymphs. we overpaid to the government and they're getting it back and... Hey, uh, at least you're lucky enough to not, you know, to get money back. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could be the other side where you have to pay. Did you hear about the unluckiest couple ever? I did. They lost $52 million in a lottery win. Oh, come on! I know. $52 million in winnings due to a faulty smartphone app. Whoops. Grandparents Edwina and David Nyland of England are in despair of their misfortune because, you know, that money, 52 mil, would have changed their lives. We tried to laugh about it, they say, but we're completely distraught. We spent years paying out for the lottery, and this money could have changed our lives. We feel like we've been cheated out of it. When Edwina called the UK lottery to claim the jackpot, a representative told the pair that they had entered the drawing too late. The couple said they used their cell phone app to purchase a ticket on December 23rd. When they were alerted that their account required more funds for the purchase, they added more money. They bought the ticket that with the six numbers that they chose randomly, and the app confirmed the buy, but the lottery officials said they have no record of the purchase. Hmm. Mm. Authorities reportedly confirmed that they have a record of the couple repeatedly trying to add funds as of 7.30 the drawing lim- when the drawing limit approached, but they assert that they did not receive a registered uh, transaction completed before the deadline. Their app. Hmm. Their app cost them $52 million. Yeah. That's why you don't use apps. Do it in person. Go down to the gas station. Go down to the gas station. Scratch those numbers yourself. Do you see some of the lines, people? Yeah. uh, Waiting for the Powerball? It seems crazy to me. Yeah? Because you now have, I don't know. It's a one, I read 292 mil, one in 292 million chance of winning. So one in the United States-ish has a chance of winning and- it's going to be like $1.3 billion in a few days. Yeah, because people are going to have another week or another few days because it'll be Wednesday mm-hmm. that they continue will buy, buying these. Now, people, some people in, in the past have been interviewed and said this is their, like their retirement. They're, they feel like they're investing in right. their retirement because it's the exact same thing as putting money in the stock market. <laughs> a little different. Yeah, but that, that's how they see it. Though. Yeah, but it just, again, it's... It's the lotto. One in 300 million yeah. chance. I mean, it seems like 
putting money in the stock market is a better chance for you because you could actually get the money you spent on tickets this year, the $100 or whatever somebody has spent this year on lotto tickets. Yeah. You could put that in the stock market and you you could pretty much bet on a return, a healthier return than they're getting off of this. I mean, there's one person. Yeah, one Don't get person, me wrong. One person's rolling. They're going to be incredibly they're fine. loving it. And then amazingly, if they took that money to the, to their advisors, their advisors will probably suggest they put it in the stock market. Yes. They'll say invest it. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think they'd say, why don't you invest a million or two million of this money into future lottos? No. I would bet they would say no. They'd probably advise against going back yeah. to the lottery system. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a weird way, it seems like to me, to raise money. It is because you're you're you were probably preying on the poor, maybe those that maybe don't understand the stock market. And there's there's other research that shows that it really doesn't help that much. Yeah, it actually oh, causes really? more problems than it helps than solutions. Because usually it funds education. Yeah, or I, I think mainly education is what they try to fund this with. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. You know, but after all the fees are paid and everyone's taken care of, I don't know what the end product comes out to be. There's a uh, gas station just over the border from Utah yeah. into Idaho where there's a – Yeah, Utah doesn't participate in the lotto. Idaho does. So you can drive there and the gas station, my grandmother's house used to be right behind it. Oh, in the past few years, they've leveled it and made a parking lot for oh, the really? gas station. Was your grandma? Did you? Did she know they were she, doing that to her? She's passed. That okay. the house okay, was then good. you that know was worrying me. Passed on to other people in the family, in a sense, you know. So the house is gone. But I went to that gas station just to get a, a drink, and I walked in. They go, "Would you like a lotto?" And I went, uh, no. And they went, they didn't know what to do. Is that like a gelato? No, I just would like this this yeah. drink. Thank you. Yeah. Like, would you like to purchase a, like a lottery ticket? Like, All the no. cool people are doing it, and they were just like. You don't want to Floored. be. A, like, you don't want to be a millionaire. Like, this you just want to buy a drink. You came in here to buy a beverage. What do you? <laughs> you're from Utah, and you're not gonna. What? Yeah. Just these three in the water. Let's hit the I road. It's weird. And then if you just watch like the shows about the lotto winners, you realize they're in over their head. They are. I mean, now you, all of a sudden you have fifty million. I, mean, I guess that's a good problem to have. But but you make bad decisions, you make yeah. bad investments. There's you, a reason why you didn't have 50 million before the lotto. You purchased the white tiger and the limo with the <laughs> with the what the jacuzzi in the back. And but those white tigers are so cute when they're babies. The big, those little cubs, big fur coats. Oh, and, I yeah. love little tiger cubs. <laughs> and two years later, he's got my arm. Hey, um, anything else going on around the world? There's quite a bit. Paying the, attention to a story that you'll see. Pretty much everywhere that I've been this morning, legendary singer-songwriter David Bowie died on Sunday following an 18-month battle with cancer. Uh, he was 69 years old. Mm. Many great songs, yeah. movies, a great recording artist. He was flashy. David Bowie. Remember how he danced? Very, very creative. You'll see a lot of people and uh, musicians, modern-day musicians, citing him as a uh, as an inspiration to them in their, mm. in their careers. So... Passing at 69 years old. Uh, in other news, there are far fewer people who identify as either Republican or Democrats these days, according to a new Gallup poll released this morning. Instead of political independence, they maintain their lead as the dominant voting group for the fifth consecutive year. Gallup reports that only 26% of Americans identify as Republican, 29% identify as Democrats, with an entire 42% calling themselves independent. See, they're all embarrassed. 
Due to the rise of independence, Americans who call themselves Democrats have hit their lowest level in 27 years. However, among political independents, 16% say they lean towards the Democratic Party, giving the Democrats at that point like about 45% total. Yeah. And the uh, with 16% of independents lean towards the Republican Party, giving them about 42%, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is kind of interesting because yeah. that's what the last two elections kind of were. Pretty much. Right in the middle there with the Democrats a little bit of it. What about the, those that don't lean either way anymore? What if those, those that just lean more toward, I don't know, Sean Penn solving all the problems of the world? <laughs> If he just goes and interviews everyone, then the police follow him That's around right. and they arrest all the drug kingpins. They'll get everybody. Hmm. Yeah. It's your next war on drugs. That's right. Take him down. The value of Donald Trump's name may be collapsing among the consumers that his business most depends on, political reports. A December corporate reputation survey uh, found that Trump's brand has lost a significant amount of cachet among the people who make more than $100,000 a year. The same high-income consumers who stay at his hotels, buy homes in his properties, and play at his country clubs. Mm. So the uh, marketing company, which has been evaluating the Trump company for more than a decade, reports the organization has never before experienced such a precipitous drop. Financial documents, the Republican presidential frontrunner released, claimed that the company's deals, brands, and brand developments were valued at $3 billion, meaning his name is the most significant part of their portfolio. He is the brand. He's the he's the value. Interesting. And he could be our president. Very well could be at this point. The U.S. flew a B-52 bomber as a show of force over South Korea days after North Korea claimed to have detonated a hydrogen bomb. This was a demonstration of the ironclad U.S. commitment to our allies in South Korea, in Japan, and to the defense of the American homeland. Admiral Harry B. Harris, Jr., commander of the U.S. Pacific Command, said in a statement to NBC News. The last time this sort of flight happened in the region was March of 2013, shortly after North Korea's last test ah. as it blew up a Is that uh, General Harry B. Harris? Harry B. Harris. Harry B. Harris Jr. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so they great. flew a bomber and, you know, here, here we are. Uh, Republican, again, Donald Trump, he's in Vegas yesterday. Okay. Actually, Reno, which is the biggest little town. Biggest little town. In America. Or how does that go? <laughs> yeah, I, don't I don't know. know if it's so he's calling the National Football League soft. Oh, boy. He said that although he loves his friend and the New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, he says football has become soft like our country has become soft, the candidate said. He doesn't watch <laughs> He doesn't watch crummy NFL games as much as uh, anymore and lamented that referees are tossing flags to impress their wives. Trump added the rise in penalties for head-to-head collisions doesn't compare with the game when players such as Dick Butkus, Lawrence Taylor, and Ray Nitschke regularly de- delivered such tackles. He goes, now they tackle. Oh, it's a head-on collision. 15 yards. Throw a flag. Holy cow. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I would soft. give to see Donald Trump go out for a pass over the middle? Yeah. There were two guys this weekend. One guy on the Steelers that I was watching the game. Yeah. He was hit. He was out. Yeah. He just flopped as they... Uh, oh, no, soft. He's soft. He flopped. They, uh, another article I read said he flopped like a dog uh, or a bag of dog food. Like if you take a big dip and <laughs> drop it, that's what they... It just like... I was like, wow. I, I, I paused it and showed my wife. I go, look, that guy's not that's even what a dog there anymore. Flop He's like. out. Wow. Donald Trump is taking on the NFL now. It's soft. It's soft. Head injuries aren't real. Well, I think he's saying they're real, but we're just paying too much close. There's too much attention to him. It's ruining the game. 
Well, yeah, I tell that to all of the dead NFL athletes that have. Hmm. Apparently, he's not going for the NFL vote. No, no. But there's some people, I guess, out there that are like, yeah, they're though, soft. Though Tom Brady is a supporter, so yeah, because they're friends. They have his hat. Don has a lot of friends in a lot of places. He has a lot of Muslim friends. He said that, yes. He has a lot of friends in the NFL. A lot of friends in Mexico. But apparently they're all soft. A lot of friends in Mexico. They're they're cleaning his places and living in his places, he says. And they all say a wall is a great idea. Unbelievable. He'll just, I mean, there is no end what he'll step into. Interesting stuff. Okay. Let him say what he wants to say. Hey, coming up next, interesting interview um, with with Dr. Greg um, Henriquez, who wrote an article on uh, in Psychology Today called Islamophobia Up Close. Why are so many people so afraid of other uh, religions like Islam? And what's really kind of what's creating that fight or flight inside of people as a trained psychologist and a professor? at uh, James Madison University. He's going to be walking us through Islamophobia and fear of religion in today's day and age. Stick with us, folks. Interesting, interesting stuff. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Civil Rights Day is right around the corner, and it is a perfect way to help us remember to show respect, tolerance, and love to humankind. It is a good time also to reflect on the brotherhood of man and be aware uh, and of the discouraging tendencies that, that some of us have without even knowing it, that we may have to another religious group, another, um, you know, another uh, ethnic group. There's just prejudice. It can happen. And so today we've asked Dr. Greg Enriquez to join us. He's the author of The New Unified Theory of Psychology and the director of the Combined Clinical uh, and School Psychology Doctoral Program at James Madison University. He joins us to discuss Islamophobia and how fear of religion is causing discrimination in our society today. He wrote a wonderful article on the subject uh, in Psychology Today that you can look up called Islamophobia Up Close. Dr. Greg Enriquez, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Great to have you. I mean, it really is common now where you'll you'll hear of somebody uh, saying something um, in school. A teacher in school will maybe teach something about Islam, and then all of a sudden the parents in the school are upset. Um, what's going on? Is Islamophobia real, and, and what is it? Oh, I absolutely think it's it's real. Uh, I mean, it basically refers to the perception, uh, the enormously broad perception that Islam as a religion is a violent and dangerous uh, religion, and anything associated with it uh, could have an insidious or damaging effect. Uh, there are definitely a lot of individuals, certainly not most individuals, but a lot of individuals believe that. Um, a lot of individuals see the face as pitted against one another mm. and see us uh, sort of as an emerging uh, uh, you know, war of worldviews or even more concrete war uh, of different religions. Uh, and that, I think that's certainly probably true on both sides of sort of fundamentalist Islam. Folks obviously have uh, those kinds of views, and some folks here in our 
uh, in our country have those views, and, and we encountered this in a really direct and obvious way in our community. Yeah, talk talk about that. How you, in your article you mentioned um, a, like a geography teacher. Uh, yeah, so, talk about so that. Here's the story, uh, and and we were very close to this because we knew the folks involved, um, and we followed it from the beginning. Uh, so essentially, a world geography ninth grade world geography teacher was teaching about world religions, um, and uh, needless to say, Islam was one of the major world religions that they covered. Um, and the teacher went outside of what the immediate curriculum uh, suggested, but, in, but still within the bounds of accepted curricular activities. Mm-hmm. And she pulled an activity uh, to help the students understand uh, sort of artistic calligraphy and the role it plays in Islam and how kind of complicated it can be or beautiful it can be, etc. So what she did is she pulled an exercise from a world religion book um, on, and that had a shahada, which is the statement of Islamic faith, um, she didn't tell them what it was, but it's, if you see it, it's yeah. a calligraphy. It's, a, it's uh, just she, a million different arrows and W, just, yeah, yeah, symbols. To, to those of us that don't speak uh, the language, it just looks like a lot of uh, interesting wavy lines mm-hmm. all pulled together in sort of a calligraphy sort of way. And so she said, hey, this is a shahada. What I want you to do is appreciate sort of the artistic complexity of calligraphy. Uh, go ahead and try to copy this and see how it looks. Um, so that was the exercise. She also, in the context of this exercise, brought in some hijabs, the uh, head scarfs that a lot of uh, right. Muslim women might wear, and encouraged uh, students to put them on and discuss a little bit about uh, where that comes from. So that was the essence of the exercise. Fairly benign. Uh, well, you know, I, one would think <laughs> yeah. that it was fairly benign, but that wasn't what happened. Right. Uh, in our, so I live in, a, in an area, Augusta County. It's a western, southwestern community in uh, Virginia. It's a rural community, um, and, uh, you know, the, the dominant religion is sort of Baptist Christianity uh, kind of perspective, and um, a lot of folks have a conservative, socially conservative Christian value set, um, which really uh, adopts a sort of, there's a one, uh, I think for many of these folks, uh, they, they have a view of the world, uh, that their religion is the one true one. Um, and what happened was a mom uh, heard about her son's experience in copying the Shahada and looked it up and saw that the Shahada meant uh, there is what the Shahada actually translates into is there's one true God, Allah, and uh, Muhammad is his messenger. Hmm. Um, and so the, uh, the re- reaction uh, from the individual was that, oh my gosh, my son has now engaged in an activity that is in a direct violation uh, of her faith. Uh, she interpreted uh, this as sort of a, a sneaky way to indoctrinate the children. She interpreted uh, her belief system, which in my opinion is very rigid and concrete, um, was that if her son were to write this out, uh, even though he didn't know what it meant or whatever, this was a way uh, of of bringing individuals closer uh, to Islam in a faith sort of way, uh, and that for her then triggered that this was a, a form of evil indoctrination that was completely at odds with the mission of the school. Wow. Uh, and that then she then started posting uh, on Facebook and said this is a a very dangerous thing. This is something that we should all be worried about our children. This goes against my Christian faith. And there was then an enormous, initially, there was a lot of local community support 
um, for this uh, opinion uh, about what this meant. Uh, and so there was originally then a swell of concern. Uh, there was a lot of backlash against the teacher uh, who was engaged in this. Um, and then there was a lot of Facebook posts. I happen to know about it because my daughter is friends with the uh, daughter of the this woman, so I actually knew. Uh, yeah, you knew of wife, her, yeah. Knew, my, my wife knew her personally, and I knew of what was going on. I got involved uh, on Facebook and was sharing my opinion that no, uh, especially, especially if you know the teacher in the background, the idea that she's indoctrinating uh you know, the woman has is not of the Islamic faith, so the idea that she was trying to convince students to uh, leave their faith and become Muslim is just beyond right. uh, the stretch of any imagination. Well, especially uh, when you think of the the entire whole of what she had taught for the year. Right. This I mean, was one percent mm-hmm. of the activity. Right. No, it's a it's a world geography class. Right. You want to learn about people uh, right. across the world and all their different faiths. Mm. Uh, and, and colors and uh, ways of being, and, and this was a, a way of doing that. But it, it really touched a nerve uh, on some folks um, who I think have a fairly, uh, well, at least in my opinion, a fairly narrow version of what religion. But you think uh, that's what you think. One of the things you think is that it's the religious side of this that's so uh, fear-invoking, I guess. Well, I, I, yeah, is that what uh, you I think? would say so. Uh, I mean, versus I, just like, oh, it's a, you know, they're here to kill us. But it's it really is that they have this belief that they'll take over my religion. Yes, I think that the certainly that was definitely the primary theme of the concern was this issue of indoctrination and the threat of religious beliefs and the kind of clash of worldviews and that there is one truth, uh, that the Christian truth, and then there's this other alien uh, truth that, that she was okay with having her students learn about. Um, but for her, the, you know, the writing of the Shahada in calligraphy was, uh, you know, really sort of a concrete spiritual act. And yeah. so for her version of what God meant was that if you write this, even if you don't want to know what it means, you're engaging in sort of the clash of worldviews and you are distancing yourself from Christ. Um, in fact, when she often, when she would write out what the Shahada means, she would follow it, with, Lord, forgive me uh, for typing these words. Mm. Um, and because as if the Lord wouldn't be able to decipher yeah. whether you were quoting somebody or what right. was in your heart, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and it seems like if if, uh, if somebody from um, the extreme um, Islamic state that is so anti uh, the Christian religion, if they saw the Shahada that these children had written, they would have seen it as blasphemy and that they were ruining this beautiful Shahada. I mean, they could have just been just as offended on the other side. Of course. And, yeah. and yet and yet, it was just an exercise to increase understanding. Right. And that that's where – that's why I think it warrants the label Islamophobia. It was just such a – you know, the obvious intent for those of us who didn't get – uh, sort of sucked up into the ideology of of, it, of what it meant, and I think in a sort of errant way. Um, yeah, it was simply an obvious uh, exercise in learning about the world huh. um, that was then infused with all sorts of meaning uh, that I did I do think stemmed, and she certainly wrote it as such, stemmed from her what I would consider to be fairly narrow, rigid, and concrete version of uh, of a Christian faith that um, you know stirs some some. Difficulty. Right. And, and all of this on the hills. I don't know if you heard of the Trump, um, the Trump moment where uh, a Muslim woman was silently protesting 
stood up in the middle of the group and um, her, her, her dress said, Salam, I come in peace. And I think she just stood there quietly, basically. Mm-hmm. And they just ran her out on a rail, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly have followed the whole Trump campaign very carefully. Um, and uh, yes, I, I do believe that the Trump campaign is very much about anger. It's very much about fear. It's very much about sort of a nationalistic fervor. Uh, and as that uh, sort of note continues to get hit, and uh, that brings out uh, more and more individuals who are feeling very frustrated, feeling defensive, wanting to return to some pure state. Um, and that's going to that is really going to encourage stirring up of lots of uh, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim sentiment. Oh. I, I definitely believe no, absolutely. So. Let's take a quick break, Greg. Um, come back and and kind of wrap this up. I'd love you to give us some ideas when we come back about how we can create a more accepting view of other religions and not just react out of fear and create more phobias uh, about, around religion. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Greg Enriquez from James Madison University. We'll continue the discussion. He a great article on psychology today if you want to go look that up and follow his blog there. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Greg, uh, Dr. Greg Enriquez from um, James Madison University. He's the, uh, the author of A New Unified Theory of Psychology and the director of the Combined Clinical and School Psychology Doctoral Program there at James Madison. Today he's talking to us about an article he wrote on Psychology Today titled Islamophobia um, Up Close, and just giving us some pretty interesting examples of how our religion uh, might spark us to be a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, what's the word? Intolerant, um, more likely to act on our fears than our than our faith, even. Um, and joining us uh, as he joins us, we appreciate you coming back, Doctor Enriquez. I'd love to uh, have you just talk to us about what we can do as the psychologist in you. What can we do to not get so fearful? And instead, actually, just maybe try to live our religion more, more holy. That's a great. That's a great question. Um, and I think the the first thing to do about that is to kind of think about, uh, you know, what you. I, the way I frame religion, I'll put it this way: um, I frame human beliefs in terms of what are called justification systems, hmm. uh, and that is that means that um, we don't adopt our beliefs about the world and ourselves randomly. We functionally organize them uh, so that they provide us meaning making and they legitimize um, our position in the world. Uh, so our beliefs really function as systems of justification. Um, and I think it's really important to be aware of a couple of different things. It, first, kind of getting your head around the use of the term. Okay, so I use my faith uh, in a way that justifies my worldview. It, it serves as a system of justification so I can make sense out of things. I can determine what is good and bad. Um, and that is, that, that's the role of beliefs and values for us. They guide us in those, in those ways. And so if you understand them as justification systems, then you can start to understand why, at least potentially, they could, they could really clash. 
uh, because it depends on how you use them and what level of abstraction or the way in which you relate to your justification system. So for individuals who got activated by this particular event we were talking about, they had a very concrete um, ver- and literal version, uh, and I think also misguided if you've studied. But, but for their version, they're justified. They're Christian God. It's clear. Um, they, he, she knows exactly what he wants her to do in her mm-hmm. own mind. She interprets bio- biblical quotes in a very literal fashion. Um, and so she has what I would consider to be a fundamentalist justification system, which is sort of a very literal uh, interpretation. And on that grounds, um, really, from her perspective, what we are seeing here is a clash of world views. There's a threat, a fundamental threat um, to the way the world works. And she would argue she is being a good person. She's right. just identifying truth in a particular kind of way. So her justification system is that we are under threat. The devil has um, created misguided uh, messages in the world of Muhammad or in evolution, and she's trying to do uh, the good and moral thing by staying close to God, um, by reading very clearly and literally what uh, her interpretation uh, of God is. Is there a way, is there a way to broaden the, the those views of another yeah, well, like yeah, I, how do you well, I do think that education is absolutely essential because once you broaden your view and begin to wonder what i would try to educate people on is listen everyone is born into a cultural system uh where they are given justification systems uh you know one of the first things i taught my daughter uh is that yeah here uh, 80 or 90 percent of the people in southern southwestern virginia are the kids are are all christian why are the kids in Saudi Arabia uh, all Muslim? It's because the justification systems are handed down. Hmm. Um, and, and thinking about your belief systems in terms of justification, I think, can give people kind of a perspective on them. So it allows them to sort of step outside their own uh, position in the world and wonder, huh, okay, so Islam is their justification system. Christianity is mine. Where do these things come from? What is their history? How does how do we understand all the justification systems that humans have built over the world? And really, you know, my opinion is is that actually, if you look carefully about how people have built justification systems, a narrow, fundamentalist, concrete version of any particular system begins to get very weak uh, when you compare it and contrast it to all the other justification systems that are around. Yeah. Um, and so you realize that, huh? These are narratives that people have built, and they may have deep truths to them, but it is just a gross oversimplification to say that you can pick up the Bible, read it line for line, and literally know exactly what is true, and know what isn't true, and know that the Koran or um, whatever other texts have not to be true, because I now know what my truth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, what you have is your justification system, and actually all throughout the history of humanity, people have been building them. And they look very, very different <laughs> across a wide variety of different contexts. And then you compare it, though, too, it seems like, to the paradox of it, where there's the law that has to be lived, but there's also a spirit of it. There's, exactly. there's, and, and it's so selective in its reasoning, I guess, because you're only, reason, you're only you know, using it to justify harsh, harsh treatment, not loving treatment. You know, harsh right, rejection, right. not loving Acceptance. That certainly would be my point, and, yeah. and, and certainly, I, you know, often the person won't experience, from the other perspective, won't 
have that experience. They'll say they're trying to be loving. Uh, they're trying to follow it a particular way. But you know, to me, what I try to help people do is once you take a step back, you sort of, in my estimation, you sort of have to commit to the idea that there are multiple justification systems uh, around that probably have uh, shed, you know, shades of truth to them, uh, but the diversity of them is something that we absolutely need to understand before we clamp down on any particular mm. version. And I think if you have that attitude, then it's a one that's much more open and curious rather than rigid and defensive when we encounter other beliefs. Yeah. Um, so that I can go out and say, oh, okay, so what do Muslims believe about the world, right? Oh, okay, they believe in Muhammad, and they're Shia Muslims and Sunni Muslims, and they have their idea about who's the rightful uh, heritage, about uh, you know Muhammad's true message. Oh, and that's kind of interesting. That's kind of like Protestants versus Catholics. Right. Um, and, and, I can, and Mormons, and I can understand... Um, you know, those histories and traditions and look for parallels and, and all of that. But um, openness versus rigidness. Exactly. Yeah, it, no. It's a recognition totally. that, um, you know, our justification system, I often make the point that it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, we live in them like fish live in water. They're not even, aw- we're not even aware of them. That's right. Um, uh, you know, they just, we take them for granted. Actually, research shows that they influence us on an explicit level, meaning what we can actually report. They also deeply influence at what's called an implicit level, stuff we're not even conscious of. Mm. So a lot of people have just primitive emotional associations to things like Islam is bad and dangerous and right. threat. And then we develop conscious rationales for why we're scared of that. So, And we have real fears, you know, underlying it all. Like, I mean, our fight or flight kicks in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and believe me, obviously, there's a lot going on in the world that says there's some legitimacy. I mean, obviously, San Bernardino happens. The Paris attack happens. Yeah. The, you know, 9-11 happened. I mean, there are oh. real um, threats, uh, no doubt, uh, from fundamental... Uh, Islamic jihad uh, elements in the world. Greg, we gotta, uh, we're going to have to have you back. This is a huge issue, and I think we need uh, more of your insight on it. We've, <laughs> we're, at, we're up against a hard break, but okay. we do appreciate you being with us. Dr. Greg Henriquez from uh, James uh, Madison University. We're going to have him back to continue this, oh, this broadening. I don't know. We just got to be more open-minded to things. You don't have to be open-minded you know, in ignorance, but you also don't want to be closed-minded in ignorance either. Anyway, interesting stuff. Dr. Greg Henriquez, we appreciate you. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Uh, They're getting ready for their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll find out what's going to be going on there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little David Bowie, may he rest in peace, uh, leading us into our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Under pressure. Were you were you guys big David Bowie fans? Not really, no. That was rude. You're just too young. I like David Bowie. You, you guys, you guys. Wait, I have to like him? No, 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 no. You're just, you just did not get his shaking hips, his crazy, intense personality. No, but uh, certainly an icon in the uh, cancer in again. Roll, you know? What is the deal? Hey, I got, I got to ask you this because uh, Donald Trump has entered your world. Okay. 
about time. It's about time you guys now get to address a political issue. Donald Trump says that the NFL has become soft. I came in like a The NFL. Yep. Trump become soft. Trump, did he give any context he did. to that? Is he talking he about did. like the penalties? He said he said the very thing. The NFL league uh, um, uh, is soft. He talked about it at a campaign rally in Reno. He said that although he loves his friend and New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, football has become soft, like our country has become soft. He said that the he said that he doesn't even want to watch the crummy NFL games anymore. And he said that the referees are just tossing flags to impress their wives. Trump also added that in a rise of penalties for head-to-head collisions doesn't compare with the game when players such as Dick Butkus, Lawrence Taylor, used to play. Uh, Yeah, and there was some pretty crazy violence back in the day. Yeah. And I think that we figured out that that was probably too violent, but uh, it's an unmanly thing to say, oh, yeah, let's— Tone it down. Yeah. Well, let's you know, not. I, I, yeah. I, there, are, there are times where I think, okay, can we please allow, um, can there be an area in the game where we can allow a good clean hit that does not involve the head? You know, yeah. th- th- you try, we're still trying to f- define this and we're carving it out and figuring out, like, even, even to today we're figuring out what's a catch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there was a crazy one on Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, that was Steelers, incredible. But, yeah, it's it's tough. Like, there's that concussion movie out right now, which really hasn't hit. People don't want to hear about it. Listen, in the middle of the Roman days, you don't go into the Colosseum and say, "Listen, this is really violent." Gladiators <laughs> I don't, are bad. I don't think that we should do it like that. That wouldn't come right. off. Well. That's what it's this concussion fly. movie is. Are you not entertained? Is. That's what this concussion movie is. No one wants to hear it, even if right. it's true. Right? right. Except, except your kids are going to play it. So, as a parent, I sit there and I think. Well, I kind of want to know. Therein, therein lies the the yeah. rub. Yeah. Yep. No. Because people are listening to that, and that is that is the effect. It's not right now; it's later. But don't you think, just for fun, it would be fun to just put Donald Trump in football gear and then show Donald how soft the NFL's become? Listen, he ran an entire league into the ground. That's right. He ran the USFL I into the that. ground. So do I care what Donald Trump thinks about the NFL? No. No. Quite frankly, do I care about what Donald Trump thinks about anything? No, I don't. But I, I wanna, just don't care. I want to see. I just I, I, I forgot about the USFL thing. He destroyed that league. <laughs> There's a good 30 for 30 by ESPN about that. See, this is why we come to you guys with this with these questions because then you can enlighten us. Donald Trump is a good businessman. Outside yeah. of that, don't care what he has to say on anything. Doesn't matter. Don't care. Especially not football after his track record. Hey, what's the deal with field goals by the way? Oh, Seems like Blair people Walsh. are having a harder <laughs> time with field goals. My Seahawks oh. survive. <laughs> yeah, Jerem Seahawks. That was the hand of God. He God no, put laces laces no, no, in. No. Not laces out. Laces out, Dan. That, that, that guy <laughs> didn't make a play. God has nothing to do with it. Okay. How do you miss that? I mean, I, I couldn't that's do it, question. but if you're a professional kicker, it seems like that's a gimme. Well, laces were out. Yeah. So, But that earlier in help. the game, he was kicking with the laces. Well, the laces were in. Yeah. He was kicking the laces, like, consistently throughout the game. Which seems like that's how you, that's how you throw a curveball. 
different sport. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's rough. I feel bad for Blair I Walsh. I thought he was an absolute gentleman. That and took it like, like a, a man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate seeing that. Speaking of champs, the NFC champs won that game. And uh, <laughs> so they're playing at Carolina. Yeah, they don't have a prayer there. <laughs> they don't have a prayer? No. They can't find some offense. They don't. No, they're in trouble. Well, if they don't play in one degree wet. They were playing in negative. I know, but now they're going to the weather. hometown. At Carolina. They're in trouble. Yeah, that's going to feel like 80 degrees compared to what they played in <laughs> It totally is. Ask the Jeez. 65 Cowboys and Packers if they care about playing in cold weather. Well, no, you, you just... They still found offense. Someone they just, still scored more points One of you just that. made they the... They still scored more points than that. Who cares? They won. And the made the excuse bowl. of weather playing a factor. Did both teams not play in that weather? It's weird. Wow, we got you guys going, didn't I we? I thought the Seahawks played the... Vikings at the same time. Listen, my bad. Jerem defending, defending you, his Seahawks. Well, we'll see. Seven months of seven. It's been seven and a half. Oh, sorry, seven and a half <laughs> months of intense devoted fandom. Yeah. You, oh, you've been following him for a Listen, full seven and a half months. Okay, great. That makes exactly. sense. Hey, what's uh, you guys still doing your show today? We that, are doing our show. BYU Sports Nation thing? Yes. What is the status of BYU basketball right now? They broke the century mark, looked great offensively, still gave up 92, but won. They're 12-5 and five on the season. Are they ahead or behind where you thought they would be mm. at this point of the season? We'll also give you the magic number of wins for BYU to make the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. Huh? Okay. It's still very attainable. Too. You've, you've actually the got we the number. The you've got we the. Have you've the got the formula. I'm telling wow. you. Yep. It's amazing. National championship Monday in college football. Trevor Maddich of ESPN with us. He'll tell us who's going to win: Alabama or Clemson tonight. Mm, okay. As well as Anson Winder of BYU basketball. He helped BYU beat Gonzaga and shave Jerem's head. <laughs> They're headed up there on Thursday again. Headed. Headed. No like pun intended. Playing in the kennel. We'll ask Anson Ooh. Winder that. There you go. That's a great show. That's it's a great. Always How's the stash? Are fun. How's the stash, Spence? Give me a little update on the stash, really quick. It's healthy, a little scraggly on the sides, a little on the very edge. Maybe needs but, a little uh, trim, a little yeah, trim. Healthy, healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still, is it still blowing so your paperwork it's alive away? And well, because BYU continues to win. That's right. I don't want BYU to lose, but, but I want to shave my mustache. No. So, so here's here's what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, Thursday, if BYU beats Gonzaga on the road, which would be a really nice win. Maybe throwing it out to the people and being like, do you want me to wait until BYU loses, or do you want me to shave it? Oh, oh no, no. People are no. going to want you to keep it if yeah. they beat Gonzaga. Especially if they know you don't like it. It's I, the lucky stash. It takes on Olmstead tournament stash form. You think that people <laughs> want to keep it? Yeah. You don't walk around with it and hear people's comments. <laughs> well, I know. That's why they want to <laughs> keep church, it. At church, at the basketball game on Twitter. Yeah. Trust me. That's good. It's a good thing I have a thick skin. Jeez. Well, thick skin and a big <laughs> furry lip. Good Something luck. like that. Yeah. Okay, guys, have a great show. Go knock Thank them down. Uh, go trim that up a bit. Interesting. Interesting <laughs> stuff. Good luck, guys. That's, you know, again, if we could grow facial hair down here, we would. Uh, we're going to, uh, oh, no, we've got to wrap the show up. Holy cow, is it over? We've only got five more minutes, Benny. Benny's giving us the excited sign. Hey, uh, great story about a Washington machine that shaves a woman as, as, as a gas explosion. Destroys her home. There's some sound from the scene. A woman saved by her washing machine after a, sus- a suspected gas explosion destroyed her home has thanked her rescuers. Wendy Ayub, 73, said she was recovering well in the hospital after being freed from the rubble of her house on Monday. In a statement released through the New Cross Hospital, 
um, where she is being treated. Ayub said, I am comfortable and recovering well. I'd like to express my sincere thanks to the emergency services and hospital staff to help me. She was found by the rescuers wedged in a void next to her washing machine with the roof and upper floors of, above her, according to the firefighters. Emergency services arrived at the scene in uh, Wolverhampton shortly after 8 a.m. on Monday to find a two-story detached property completely flattened. And if she hadn't been, you know, if she hadn't been right next to that washing machine, she um, and wedged in there, everything would have collapsed on top of her. She would have been dead. They were able to locate the elderly lady in the rear ground floor kitchen, with the remainder of the room and first floor on top of her, and was wedged in that void next to the washing machine. Due to the presence of gas, we believe the explosion was a result of a gas explosion, and uh, she made it out alive. So, congrats to her. Holy cow, that's scary. She could have died, for heaven's sakes. Um, you know, so when you're buying your washer and dryer, make sure you buy one that can handle two floors landing on top of it. And keep it close. Uh, as you know, we like to end every show on the hero story of the day. Here's our hero today. Our hero is a 12-year-old Arizona girl that spent her holiday season collecting coats for those in need. McKenna Breeding Goodrich dropped off close to 1,000 items at a mission shelter in Phoenix after going door-to-door collecting coats, jackets, and hoodies for the homeless. McKenna says it gets really cold around here at night, like 30 degrees, and I want to make sure homeless people aren't walking around without jackets or blankets at night. I just want people to know someone cares about them. She has been taking donations for four years through an organization she started called McKenna's Coats for a Cause. Each November, she begins traveling her neighborhood in Surprise, Arizona, collecting jackets on her red wagon. She's 12-year-old, folks, 12 years old. McKenna says something small can make a big difference, and I want to spread a little kindness that can inspire others. So 12-year-old McKenna Breeding Goodrich from Surprise, Arizona, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Man alive, folks. It doesn't matter what age. You can, you can be a hero, and uh, the key, I guess, is getting over yourself, and when you see the need, get out there and start meeting the need. She's worried about these people out there in 30-degree weather, so let's get them some coats. Let's get them some blankets or jackets, and she put them on her little wagon, went around the neighborhood, and, and made a difference. That's the reason we do the show, is to let you know that there are people like McKenna out there everywhere. You are one of them, and uh, even though life is tough, and sometimes you get you know, caught upside down, there's still a way out just by serving and taking care of each other. That's the show. That's the reason we do it. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas, more tools, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. If you missed any of our show today, you can go find us at byuradio.org. Look up The Matt Townsend Show there. You can get all of our past episodes. You can also go to iTunes or tune in for more, um, also for the podcast as well. Again, we'll be back tomorrow, folks. Until then, watch out for each other. Take care of each other, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Talk again then. Take care.